The following podcast is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen orders at the link below. Or go to cdkeyoffers.com and use code BROKENSILICON for 30% off Windows keys and die shrink for 3% off every other key on the website. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this will recognize the voice right away. Uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself, Steve. Uh, what are you trying to say? <laughs> uh, Steve here from Hardware Unboxed. And I'm uh, here to talk about, I suppose, Outer Lake mostly, I would guess. But I don't know. Tom's asked me to come on, and here I am. Yeah. Um, I wanted to have. Someone who reviewed Alder Lake and didn't just review it, but reviewed it in depth um, within a few weeks of it launching. There's there's just, it's funny for my own content. I mean, I did like a day one video. I did a die shrink podcast talking about who should buy it. And then we just talked about it probably for another 45 minutes <laughs> of the last broken silicon with me and my usual co-host, Dan. There's really, there's a lot to talk about. And I think you see a lot of people boiling it down to sound bites and just short opinions when for you just right out of the gate like is how big of a deal do you think alder lake is well i think for intel it's certainly a big deal uh coming from the 11th gen which was in my opinion a disaster and shouldn't have happened mm. so yeah big deal for intel then more importantly for you know our audience consumers i also think it's a pretty big deal um it's good to have obviously intel back and competitive they're certainly a viable option now, especially with like 12600K, 12700K. And then I'm really excited to see the locked parts filter down. Not mm -hmm. sure what pricing and availability will look like, but yeah, I, I think overall it's a big deal and it's good to see Intel back and I'm excited to see where they go from here. Well, it's funny because it was Alder Lake launch day and I was like putting all this stuff together, like looking over the data and one of my friends was like, hey, do you want to get on Deep Rock Galactic early tonight? And I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I'm busy uh, working on. And I typed <laughs> I typed the biggest Intel launch in a couple of years. And I backspaced and I went, well, biggest in three <laughs> decade. I mean, would you is this I would yeah. say this is the biggest launch in a decade for Intel. It really I think it really is. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Uh, absolutely. They they haven't. Well, the stagnation's real. <laughs> they haven't done a lot for a long time. Half of it's probably because of how stagnant they were for that decade, but nonetheless. Yeah, uh, certainly the biggest response they've had since Ryzen. If you think about when Ryzen jumped onto the scene, and Ryzen's just got pr progressively better every generation. Like Zen to Zen Plus was a small step, but it made a big difference for gaming. Those you know DRAM latency improvements, slight improvement there to core to core, that definitely helped with gaming. 
then Zen 2 was a really big step forward. I, I, I was actually surprised by how big that was. It was bigger than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Zen 3 was huge again. And in that time, what has Intel really done? They've, <laughs> sort of, they've tacked on a few more cores, power's gone up, tacked on a few more cores, power's gone up. And, you know, it's quite impressive what they've managed to achieve by just doing that, I suppose. But it hasn't exactly been... Yeah, revolutionary to, for Intel. Like, there's been no big architectural changes, um, no big IPC, you know, leaps. I think I did a recent video that really highlighted it, looking at um, where I matched the core count and frequency for a whole heap of. I think it was like the last ten years of AMD and Intel CPUs, and the stagnation since Skylake was just crazy. It really highlighted it. Whereas AMD's just kept taking, you know, big, big double digit sometimes 20 percent gains forward for gaming anyway and i mean one could argue um obviously they did with zen 2 with core counts is you know big gains there but i I would honestly make the argument too that in some ways amd hasn't added more cores both because they probably don't and i they say this i think they're right we don't probably need more cores in consumer right now yeah that's right but also if you think about how much energy top well, top Rocket Lake, certainly top Comet Lake, and even top Alder Lake uses, there is room for them to add more cores. Like, I, I have to say that I, what I'm trying to say is there's more gas in the tank in terms of like power consumption where AMD could add more if they wanted to. They just aren't. And oh, yeah. Yep. Zen 3 is on the same note as Zen 2. I, I, would, I, I was honestly starting to worry a little bit AMD may go mad with power <laughs> if Intel... <laughs> doesn't do something soon. I, I think it's it's very important for the market that Alder Lake mm. is a big deal. Oh, it, it absolutely is. There's, yeah, always the risk there of AMD. I don't know if becoming complacent is the right word to use because they're obviously still pushing forward and they're developing things, but you could see more projects cancelled, pricing not nearly as competitive as we'd like, uh, sort of starting to do, slowly starting to do things, I suppose, that we've seen Intel do over the years mm-hmm. where things get locked down, se- heavily segmented, all that sort of stuff that we don't like to see. Whereas, you know, there's no opportunity to do that. And it doesn't make sense to do that if you have a strong competitor. So that's obviously why we want to see that. And that's why Alder Lake is so exciting and really everybody should be excited to see Intel back. I mean, I think it's pretty clear there's been a little bit of that, though, already, if you think about it. Um, how's that Zen 3 Threadripper review going? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I was, yeah, I'm personally very bummed out by that one because I'm mm-hmm. using a, a 3970X in my PC. I absolutely love it. It's such a great, such a great CPU. I mean, I know it's hideously expensive, but it is a productivity CPU designed for professionals that, you know, make money doing what they do. But I mean, that's the case for, you know, two of myself. And it certainly speeds up our workflow and just have it sometimes when we're on a deadline and then I've spotted a mistake in a video and it's maybe 20 minute long video and I have to re-encode it. Being able to do that on the Threadripper system and have it do it so quickly. I remember back when I was using sort of mainstream mm-hmm. desktop parts and if you had to re-encode a video, it was a disaster. And sometimes it actually meant you would miss the deadline because obviously you've still got the upload time and processing on YouTube's end and all that sort of stuff. So Threadripper has been a game changer there. But also I love it because I can game on it. Like last night I was playing mm. Battlefield, the new Battlefield game on my Threadripper rig. And it was just buttery smooth, played awesome. And I game on it a lot. I work on it. So it's sort of the, 
it does everything. <laughs> it's it's really cool. So obviously, I was really excited to get a Zen three version of that part because mm-hmm. it just should be better at everything. But yeah, no, I won't hold my breath for that one now. <laughs> no, and unfortunately, <laughs> it's funny. There's someone I live in Nashville. There's someone that I met here who like does a lot of like music work, and so like he's both like a musician, but also he's just really into computer tech. And so he's like, hey, when is uh, Zen 3 Threadripper coming out? And I'm like, never. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I don't think the 3D one's probably coming out either, although they considered it. And it's because unfortunately in HEDT, I actually, and therefore in Epic, because that's really what it is, I, I really don't see any competition from Intel for a long time. I think I don't know if you'll agree, but or I don't know if what your perspective is, I should say. Do you, I think Intel is back to competing, and thank God. But I still feel like AMD is in the overall position of power right now. I mean, Zen 3 is a year old, and I, I, I don't think... Um, I don't. I don't think Intel's touching anything in server for at least another year compared to them. I mean, though they just the bombshells they just dropped at their data center keynote. It was almost mm-hmm. like they. I I honestly interpreted it as them going, "Hey, just to be clear, <laughs> <laughs> we've got way better things coming over the next year. We know Alder Lake's out." Yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, don't disagree with that at all. So it's it's a uh, it's. A big, like I said, it's a big step for Intel in the right direction for especially mainstream desktop parts. But overall, it's a pretty small step forward, I suppose. But you know, it is a step in the right direction. They're not going backwards like they did with eleventh gen. But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. That they're still in like the position of power because I talked a little too oh, long yeah. there. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you're absolutely right. I, I totally agree. Like, there's well, even on the HEDT platform, there's just they're nowhere. Um, and that's obviously why, again, that's why we want the competition there because AMD's so I said, now oh, we've got these products out there. We're still profiting from those, you know, why push something else forward that perhaps we won't make as much margin off or whatever reasons they've come to, they just haven't felt pressure to do it. So they haven't. Right. And, you know, it's funny, the same musician that was asking me about when Threadrippers are coming out, I was like, I think if I remember my last Threadripper roadmap leak, it was like, Zen 4 Threadripper, maybe early 2023. The fact that they've canceled Zen 3 Threadripper and probably Zen 3D Threadripper would make me hope AMD releases the Zen 4 one sooner than they were going to to make up for that. But, you know, he then asked, well, what's Intel doing? They can't possibly still be using the same 14 nanometer 18 cores (laughs) next year. And I'm like, yeah, uh, they are. That's probably why AMD doesn't care. (laughs) Like, unfortunately, the fact of the matter is Intel, Intel gets an HEDT version of Sapphire Rapids out. I, I don't know why AMD cares when they can just keep selling those as Epic chips, which the demand that I've heard in server is supposedly out of control for Zen 3, Zen 3D Epic. Mm-hmm. So I think that's your answer right there too, why we're unfortunately not seeing it quite yet. Yeah, I mean, it's just a role reversal, isn't it? It's yeah. It's the same reason why, you know, because Intel could have released the 8700K way earlier than they did and then the 9900k that could have come way sooner than we saw it but why did why did it not come (laughs) why bother Mm -hmm. so i think it's a similar situation here a a very similar situation really so yeah that's why competition's good that's why we keep saying it over and over again (laughs) which i do want to get into some more specific questions then about how well zen 3 and uh, alder lake are competing kenahoon 25 writes in and he asks 
Hey, Tom and Steve. I plan on building a gaming PC, and I'm torn between the 5800X and the i5-12600K. The 5800X is $320 at Micro Center right now, and I've actually seen it for $280 at some places. And the i5-12600K is available at $320. From early benchmarks, uh, I do see that the 12600K beats the 5800X in most games. I know from testing gaming on Windows 10 over 11 doesn't cause a big loss of performance, it seems. Uh, anyways, my question is, I have 32 gigabytes of 3200 megahertz DDR4 RAM right now. I just don't feel like paying for DDR5 or a new kit of faster DDR4. Is the performance loss of using 3200 megahertz RAM on the 12600K enough to make the 5800X a better option for me, in your opinion, I need your sage advice. And thank you for both of what you do from your gaming channels. Okay. We haven't done memory scaling for Elder Lake or the 12600K in particular yet, but we know it does impact the Zen 3 performance a bit. Maybe not as much as it did, say, Zen 2. But I would expect that maybe it would be it would have more of an influence on the Zen 3 performance than the... Uh, Outer Lake performance at, at a guess? I was warned about that before it launched from a distributor. They, it was a boutique builder, and he said in our testing, it's fast DDR4 works, but the second you get below 3,000, it's an issue. Maybe you'll find that's not true, though. Who knows? Yeah, I guess since I can't answer that directly because I don't ha haven't done the benchmark uh, benchmarking yet, I would probably say that ultimately, depending on the type of gamer you are, it's probably not going to matter. Because I think the the whole memory thing for gaming gets a bit blown out of proportion because obviously to highlight the differences there, we're testing at lower resolutions with an extremely high-end GPU to make the game as CPU mm -hmm. dependent as possible. In, the, in that situation, you know, memory performance can make a difference because you're CPU dependent. But if you're gaming at, you know, let's just throw it out there like 1440p with a 6600 XT up to something like, you know, an RTX 3070 it's not going to make an ounce of difference whether you have really low mm -hmm. latency memory. Even if you go up to like you know, 3,800 low latency versus what he's currently got, it's going to make next to no difference. So I don't think that's really a big consideration there. It's more which CPU do you end up going with. And if they're available at the same price, I think I'd be going with the 12600K. There's, of course, the mm -hmm. motherboard pricing concerns there. Uh, you know, were you going to get the, the Zen 3 CPU on a really affordable entry-level B550 board or did you want quite a decent motherboard there was particular motherboard features you want so you know the difference in boards may not be that much but off the top of my head maybe I'd be leaning back towards the 5800X on that comparison mm. yeah um I, you know I think most of these questions come down to what do you already have because I find this interesting he says I already have 32 gigabytes. I was wondering that yeah oh. I'm like so it doesn't sound like you have a slouch of a system, right? He, uh, is this? Yeah, he might be on an older... I, uh, my guess would be that he's on an older AMD system, right? Because if it was AM4, the 5800X is the obvious choice. That's what I'm saying is, I, I think, or what I was going to say, me and Dan have been talking about this. I think it's a pretty easy answer most of the time. If you're building new, that i5 is pretty tempting, especially, I know you pay extra for the platform, but not... X570 isn't exactly cheap, you know. I, 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 don't, I don't know that it, you would want to give up the fact that it has like PCIe 5.0. Like, I know you don't need that now, but it's like, I don't know if it's the same price and you're building new, it's kind of cool to have the new thing. 
anyone though who has X570R or or can just put a 5800X in already, I think it's well then you get where what you can already slot in, right? I think yeah. I don't think Alder Lake temps existing Zen 2 or later buyers much. I really think it's for people building new. Yeah, um, I'm still a bit torn, torn on this one. I think I would go with the 5800X personally at the same price as the 12600K. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think I would go that way. Um, just because, a few other reasons, it's a bit of a proven platform at this point. It doesn't have any game compatibility issues. Uh, things like power consumption and cooling are a non-issue when comparing those two parts. Yeah. Uh, it's really just, yeah, the, the 5800X right out of the gate will work with all games. There's no DRM compatibility issues there. And the platform is well-developed and matured at this point. And if we get sort of the Vcash stuff, then you can upgrade to that. Whereas I don't think the 12600K mm-hmm. is really going to have a worthwhile upgrade path. Oh, well, uh, Raptor Lake next year uh, doubles the little core counts and increases. That, uh, so I've, I've leaked this, uh, you know, so like, and people listening can choose to believe me or not, but I'm sure. Um, no, I believe that this socket will let you upgrade to Raptor Lake in a year. Yeah, yeah I, was, that, I was under that assumption. I just don't think for gaming that it's going to be a worthwhile upgrade. I, again, this is just me completely guessing. And oh, I see what no you're idea. saying. Well, uh, I don't know that Zen 3D will make that big of a difference compared to Raptor Lake, though. That's you true know? as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it could. Yeah, it could honestly be the same for either platform. Um, I'm doing some actual on that note. I'm doing some little core e core benchmarking. I should say. Uh, and those mm-hmm. things are just horrible for gaming. So I think adding more of those is not going to be beneficial now or at any point in the future for gaming. If anything, I think it'll slow down CPU performance. So, well, so that's an interesting point, though, because I've seen some people writing into me asking questions like, oh, you know, should I get a 5950X instead of the i9 or something or the 5900X <laughs> because long term these will age better than mm-hmm. Alder Lake, it's like, how much of this do you think is teething pains, though? I mean, Zen 1, especially Zen 1 Threadripper, was like 20% worse at gaming than after more BIOS and Windows updates came out. I, I feel like this is a headwind actually in Intel's favor. I mean, you look at synth- these are synthetic, but synthetic benchmarks like Cinebench, it's right up there with Zen 3 and some of these synthetic multi-core benchmarks. Do you think there's any chance just over time, though, Alder Lake actually is going to age better than people think because I think a lot of people expected it to a uh, to be horrible at launch because it's big little. Yeah, maybe. I think it's more like it's very different to the Threadripper situation. I think it's more just that the C, the cores are clocked so much. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I don't think games are going to leverage them quite the same way that you see Cinebench, those sort of sequential mm. benchmarks. So I'm 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 not sure on that one. I, it is a bit of a guess, but. So the whole thing about, you know, should I buy a 12900K or a 5900X or 5950X to future-proof my gaming, I also think that's a bit silly personally as well because by the time those CPUs, uh, like, for example, by the time <laughs> by the time the 12900K, well, I don't think the 12900K will ever have a benefit over the 12700K for gaming, so maybe that's a bad example. By the time the 12900K is providing some sort of tangible advantage over the 12600k i honestly think you don't want to be using either cpu for gaming and there'll be something that's significantly faster that's half the price you would have paid for either of those so the whole future proofing thing it makes sense to a degree and it's generally quite a small degree like maybe 
Like it's even debatable. Should you have gone for the 5,800X over the 5,600X? It's like, what is it like mm. 50% more money? I think it is to, to get those two mm -hmm. extra cores. Would you have been better off saving? What was it, like $150 US or something like that? Yeah. Would you be better off just pocketing that over a year ago or a year ago now? And then in a year from now, buying whatever the $150 US CPU is, because it's probably going to be faster than both. So yeah, if you're not getting any immediate or short-term benefit, I think the future-proofing thing just almost always doesn't make sense. And unless you're doing something very specific, like you're using the CPU for streaming or something along those lines, then I just don't see that something like a Ryzen 9 5900X is going to be any advantage over the 5800X. What I've told people is if you're getting the i9 or, oh yeah, especially the i9 or the i7, it should be because it, it honestly, let's be, yeah, let's be honest about this. A combination of it just has to be that you want the biggest one. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's be clear. You're buying it, it. That's part of your calculation. You can't convince me it's not if you're buying the i9. But in addition to that, I assume you're using it then for Adobe or something besides gaming. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just using it for gaming, there's really no reason to get anything but the i5 and certainly nothing above the i7. With that, in mind, then, it is a valid point you bring up about future-proofing, that it might be much about nothing. It, mm. it really is 99% of the time. I mean, so you say 5800X, then, to go back to that original question. <laughs> yeah, sorry about butchering that. Uh, yeah, I think I'd go 5800X. Mm -hmm. If it's the same price, and that's because the platform's cheaper, and you think right now it'll serve you better more consistently without having to worry about compatibility issues. Yeah, that's pretty much it. If it was the 12600K versus the 5600X at the same price, I'd, I'd go the 12600K. But if the 5800X is coming down to that price point, I think that's the way to go. Well, so I'm surprised with how much you were an Intel shill in your Alder Lake review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Well, that's because Intel paid me all of a sudden, remember? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I did see you tweet about that, and it got quite a, a lot of notice. Uh, I certainly saw it and could, can say that I got similar emails. You want to, I kind of want to actually talk about that directly with you, if you don't mind. Like, have you, you said you got a bunch of emails about feedback on the mm. Alder Lake review, which it seemed, without going into it too much, it seemed like your review is pretty consistent. It's like, right. What do you mean by, I thought you, you tweeted about how there might be, have been some backlash or whatever. Like, you want to go into that or tell me what, what emails you got? Um, yeah, I mean, it was just the usual stuff, really. So I was getting emails from, I guess they had to be AMD fanboys because they were ignoring all of the pros of you know, all the good stuff that Alder Lake sort of, you know, they're like, how can you be recommending these CPUs? They use way too much power. They require DDR5 memory. You know, the sort of narrative that they're trying to push to make it less favorable towards Intel. I wasn't terrible. I, I wasn't, look, I'm not surprised that that sort of thing happens. I've been doing this for over 20 years. Sure. But I think I was quite taken back and surprised by the amount of individuals that sent long, like thousand plus word emails just like some of them were like generally distraught really? that you know we could we could <laughs> say that the 12600k was a better buy than the 5600x so yeah but again a lot of them whether they're doing it deliberately or by accident because they're just so heavily invested in one of these corporations for reasons that'll never make sense to me they were yeah pushing things like the ddr5 memory though it's so expensive how can you be recommending I had one this? comment 
Yeah, I, saw, I had one comment that just said, Alder Lake requires you to spend $500 on RAM. I'm like, no, it doesn't. What? And, and that's one of the reasons why I really pushed hard to make sure we had a DDR4 motherboard in time for mm-hmm. the, the review because I suspected that DDR5 wouldn't offer a lot. I think on the Q&A leading up to it, I guessed at best it would be 5 to 10%, um, which isn't 100% right, but it's not far off. Uh, I think we saw up mm-hmm. to 20% in some gaming instances, but I think there was one instance of that, maybe Watch, uh, Watch Dogs Legion, I think. Yeah, but most of them, it was sometimes it was slower. So I think it worked out to be 2% or 3% maybe. I'm not sure. It was very minuscule. So we were pretty much right on the money with that one that you know DDR5 was going to be this just hideously expensive memory at launch and it wasn't going to offer much. So I really wanted to make sure we could highlight DDR4 to... I think it's one of the most, it was the, it was the most important thing to show for Elder Lake reviews, really, to get that question out of the way, because do I need to spend three times more on the money to unlock the full performance or not? So I really pushed hard to make sure we got a DDR4 board in time. I think we ended up with three because of that. And I was able to do that testing. So yeah, you absolutely do not need DDR5 memory. In fact, I would recommend everybody for me, there is no situation where DDR5 makes sense right now. I don't care what your budget is. Uh, what you're after. I mean, you can get it. It's not a bad thing to get. I just don't think it makes, it doesn't make future proofing sense. It doesn't make performance sense right now. It just doesn't make sense full stop, in my opinion. I, I don't see a reason to get it. The one reason I could come up with why you might get a DDR5 motherboard is I guess what you might decide is, well, in a couple of years, DDR5 will be cheaper than DDR4. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have heard like, for example, like there's a bit of milking going on in the do-it-yourself. Well, I think everyone's aware <laughs> there's a lot of milking going on actually in the do-it-yourself market. But I've, I've talked to people at some major OEMs, like, you know, people at like somewhere like HP. And they're like, mm, we're paying like 14% more per gigabyte for DDR5, by the way, guys. It's not that bad. And I've even heard boutique builders getting it for like 30 to 40% more. So it's not as much more expensive as you'd think. I do expect its pricing to go down. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe you can make the argument you could get a DDR5 motherboard. So if you upgrade in the future, you can go from 16 gigabytes to like 128 or something when DDR5 is cheaper. And you'll know that will work as best as possible with Raptor Lake and maybe if something else comes out on it. But that's pretty much the best example I can come up with. It's, it's basically that or there's an app you need it for is what I would say. Basically, at least the pricing right now, and availability sucks anyway. If you, can, I'm not even sure you can get it, but mm. you're paying more, typically a little bit more for the DDR5 motherboard, and then like 300% more for the memory. So by the time, like, what's the cheapest you can buy a DDR5 um, kit for right now? You know, I did see a couple of places where I think you can get like 16 gigabytes for a hundred bucks, if I remember correctly. It's like fifty okay. percent more, and this is like again, no heat sink on it, the cheap one. Yeah, I haven't actually seen those to be honest with you, but basically, by the time you spend your premium on your memory, uh, from what I've seen anyway, it looks like, say, even if you wanted to upgrade to thirteenth gen, for for the premium you paid just on the memory alone, you'd be able to buy mm-hmm. a DDR five memory and a motherboard in the future. So the only real probably scenario, yeah that's that's what I expect. So I think the only real scenario where you could say, look, DDR five makes sense for me right now because I have this specific workload where it's offering you know forty percent more performance or something like that. Um, 
which I'm not even sure that would exist because you could probably buy premium DDR4 memory that would close that gap down a lot. But let's say that situation exist existed. Mm. Is that a situation where in that same workload you could just go buy Threadripper and get way more performance again? <laughs> so it, it's going to be extremely niche if if such a scenario exists. No, I mean, I think that is a very good point. What I've told people who ask me is I recommend DDR5 if you're getting the i9, simply because clearly you're someone who wants the biggest thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I guess DDR5 is for i9 owners, but certainly anyone below that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just, it's for, it's a little bit for bragging rights or because you want the newest thing to not, to get that extra 2% out of your i9 or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And and you're right, by the way, Crucial has a 16 gigabyte kit for $140 US. It's DDR5 Mm -hmm. 4800 though. Like that's going to be slower than most decent uh, DDR4 kits. I would, I would expect. But now you're future proof, Steve. (laughs) Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I was joking. Yeah. No, I don't, well, it, it is. You may be. You might be. Um, but it's a mm-hmm. it's a serious gamble. And as I said, I don't like to take those future proof gambles unless there's some kind of short term payoff. And if if you really can't utilize it now, or it doesn't make sense right now, then it almost never works out. Has been my experience with the the whole future proofing thing. You know. You know, I think a lot of people thought Piledriver would be future-proofed, and I'm sure it still works in some games with eight threads, but at the end of the day, it's like, no. <laughs> if you go back and look, you'd be surprised how well, like, the 6700K games still. You'd be surprised that <laughs> Piledriver future-proofing... If, if you mean future-proofing in terms of, like, literally running out of threads and, like, online battlefield, sure. But I think the majority of the time, it didn't, it didn't really future-proof a whole lot to do that. Like, I think a lot of the old future-proofing arguments have not worked out. Like, Skylake actually still aged fine versus Piledriver, guys. I'm sorry, this giant flip never happened. Yeah, I think with the future-proofing thing as well is it's like, at what point are you being absolutely absurd and ridiculous? Like, we're talking (laughs) about which CPUs are better now 10, 11 years later? Who cares? Like, if you're investing in something now for it to be future-proof, you kind of want that to come to fruition like, three, four years at the most down the track, not a decade or more. So (laughs) at that point, I I don't really care which of those CPUs is faster today because they're both horribly slow and for very little money, you can get something with significantly more processing power, which is, again, the argument I was sort of making with something like the the Ryzen 5 5600X versus the Ryzen 7 5800X. If you have some way of utilizing those extra cores now that make a noticeable mm-hmm. performance difference then sure but if you're just gaming playing typical sort of games there shouldn't be a performance difference and if you're paying 50 percent more in the hope that it'll last longer but then it's going to be four years before that cpu is noticeably better in more than one game then would you be better off just spending 150 200 on a cpu in four years time so i mean I think it's especially true when we talk about the next four years, because this is something I'm trying to make that I keep trying to convey, like AMD is big now. They have a lot of money and they're (laughs) spending it on Mm R&D and Intel isn't screwing around anymore. They're taking AMD and frankly, Apple seriously. Like this idea of like, I just think there's a lot of people still that like bought a Sandy Bridge i5 or an Ivy Bridge i7. And they're like, I didn't need to upgrade till... I don't know, Zen 2, 
frankly, you might have not needed to upgrade yet, depending on what you do. Yeah. Um, then they're going, so what's the next one I get where I have top end performance for the next whatever? And I think actually, actually, I think there's two ways I could answer that. I might argue it's already happened. Like, depends what frame rate are you gaming at? I don't think even the 2700X is going to be <laughs> too bad for 60 hertz for a long time. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, we're not in this era of 10% increases every year. We're in an era where Intel just, over doubled performance gen over gen from Rocket Lake. Mm -hmm. Special example, Rocket Lake was especially bad. <laughs> but I, you know, people doubted Zen 3 would be another 20% increase. It was. I really think we should expend that at a minimum every year from these companies moving forward. Um, which gets me to a reader mail here. So Illyrium writes him, Hi, Tom and Steve. Great to have you back. As the former owner of a Vega 56, I can appreciate how an i7-12700K can be considered good because unlike its fully enabled high power hogging brother, it isn't, it isn't chugging nearly as much energy while offering most of the same performance. But isn't three months until Zen 3D close enough to offset any enthusiasm over Alder Lake? This reminds me of when the i5-7600K launched and quite a few people bought it in droves because they had no trust in AMD. <laughs> then saw their 7600K trounced by a cheaper 1600X two months later. Surely AMD has a proven track record that they're competitive and worth waiting for. I mean, I think you typically try to stay away from that type of thing because frankly, we've been burned on it a few times. I think there was a lot of, I've read old reviews recently and it was just like, don't get the 980 Ti, wait for the Fury X. <laughs> don't get the, you know, 1080 Ti, wait for Vega. That one definitely didn't pan out. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of, and I, I think a lot of people did say that though, like don't get Zen 1, wait for Intel's response. Eh. <laughs> you know, but I think at this point, AMD's proven themselves. Do you think it's a fair point to say that jumping into Alder Lake when Zen 3D is only one quarter away feels a bit silly? Or I don't know how you would answer that. Yeah, well, look, in my 12900K review, I said we're expecting uh, a refresh from AMD February next year, hopefully the latest. So if you're not desperate for an upgrade right now and you can hold out a bit, then that's probably worth waiting for. So that, that, that's definitely, the, that was the conclusion of my 12900K review. But as for like the 12700K, I mean, it obviously applies for all CPUs right now. I don't know what the pricing is going to be of Zen 3D. I don't even know when it's coming. Mm. I don't know what availability is going to look like. I don't know what parts we're getting. There's a lot of unknowns. So again, it's just one of the situations. If, you if you're desperate for a build and you've been holding out, you've been holding out, and if you can't wait three more months, then this is like, this is the best, Thing available right now at that price point. So get it. And I want to kind of use this to preempt a lot of other questions we received as well that were kind of like, you know, do I get Alder Lake now? Do I get Zen 3D? Wait, should I get Zen 3D? Shouldn't I get <laughs> Zen 4? Well, what about Zen 5? <laughs> exactly. And exactly. It's like, this is not Sandy Bridge to Ivy Bridge anymore. Like, if you, I think, Anyone with Zen 2 or later, you don't need to upgrade unless there's a specific task you need Alder Lake for. And if you need to upgrade, then Zen 3D, you're going to get it because it fits in your motherboard. But if you don't need it, Zen 4 is coming out same year. And so is Raptor Lake. And then so is <laughs> Meteor Lake. And then Zen 5. I, every 8 
to 14 months, there's going to be a big new thing. So I think it's going to slowly turn into what's the newest thing, probably that, and it's priced to compete with what's out then, which actually I would add that too. I think, guys, Zen 3 is made on the same note as Zen 2, and they're selling it for more. Like a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people were bringing up how Micro Center had reduced the price of Zen 3. And I'm like, yeah, that's usually what happens a year after something comes out, by the way. The street price lowers. <laughs> I almost wonder if people have forgotten that's the norm. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I remember when Zen 2 came out, my brother got the 2700X instead because it was $150. Yeah. Like, p- things are supposed to go down in price over time. I think people have already forgotten that's how it's supposed to work. In a normal market. Um, yeah, in a normal market. So... Zen 3D having a, I mean, Zen 3 having a lower street price is kind of common sense. It's was always probably planned to have that happen around Alder Lake's launch. And I think Zen 3D isn't going to, I think there's a chance AMD may be a little aggressive with pricing as they understand that this is the last thing they're launching on AM4. And a lot of people will be apprehensive to get any new motherboards for it. So Mm -hmm. maybe they have to maybe, you know, nudge it in that direction. But at the same time, I mean, the fact that they're still selling the 5950X on their website for $800. And if I check it, oh, it is actually in stock now because Alder Lake's out, but it wasn't in stock most days I checked on AMD.com or at least every other day. I don't see them pricing in a 16-core Zen 3D at $600, do you? I don't, but again, I have absolutely no idea. Um, but to, to add to this question and, and some previous ones, I think it's really important to, to note here because we get you, especially you and I, we get really caught up in what's new and what's coming up and what's, you know, what you should get and what's exciting. But even rewinding back to like the 5800X versus 12600K question, I think it's really important to note there that there really is no wrong option. You're going to get either of those CPUs, put them in your system, game or do whatever work you're going to do on them. You're not really going to notice if you ha- if you had both systems, if you had both options, one left, one right. You wouldn't really know which one was which. They both would perform very well. They'd allow you to do what you want to do, uh, have an enjoyable gaming experience. So I-, I don't think you should stress too much over which way you should go there. And then when it comes to stuff like Zen 3D, if you go and buy a twelve seven hundred K right now, just enjoy it. Like when Zen 3D comes out, yeah, in really CPU limited scenarios it might offer 10% more performance, let's mm-hmm. just say. Does that matter to you? Is it, If you're playing the latest Battlefield game and you're still getting plenty of FPS for your high refresh yeah, rate Yeah, and if you monitor, were doing that all holiday season exactly. What? Yeah, what value do you place on that then? So uh, I don't think you're going to buy a 12700K and go, oh, gee, next year you're going to be like, I really wish I didn't buy this because this thing's 10% faster for this game. But then when you actually turn up the quality settings to what you'll be playing at and it just becomes GPU limited like the vast majority of games. There's no difference there. So I think really you should just buy the product and enjoy it. And then when it makes sense in the future, because it's going to be a long time before the 12700K is not usable for gaming or not even delivering a premium experience. I think it's going to be a long time before then. So, but yeah, as I said, if you can wait for something like Zen 3D, it's a couple of months, it's probably worth doing. But if you don't want to, you're not going to regret it. You know, I want to shift the conversation to another consideration that I suspect a lot of people have when they're thinking about getting Alder Lake versus Zen 3 or waiting for Zen 3D. 
Uh, Kent Gain writes in and he says, Hello, Tom from Moore's Law Z and Steve from Hardware Box. Steve, in a recent video, Tom discussed the DDR5 and Windows 11 required mindset behind Alder Lake and how it could negatively affect Alder Lake sales if people think they need Windows 11 and DDR5. Do you believe this idea will be something that still benefits AMD sales during Zen 3D launch early next year? Thanks, Steve. And I suppose the first question to ask is, do you think that makes sense what I said there? Because he quoted me pretty correctly. Like, I suspect, because I see it in the comments too, that a lot of people think you need Windows 11 and DDR5. And a lot of people are not going to get Alder Lake, at least at first, because they think you need those new things. Uh, Do you think that is a headwind against people Mm. considering buying Alder Lake? I think it's you need to interpret that a little bit. I think the DDR5 thing is mostly fanboys, mm-hmm. I, I hate to say it, uh, using that against Intel. I think it's quite clear for most people that there are DDR4 is still an option, and for most people that makes sense. Uh, I, if anything, I think DDR5 is probably a positive because people like to see the latest thing on the box. Oh, I'm going to get this platform because it's got the DDR5 and AMD only has DDR4. Mm. So I think for the uninitiated, that's probably a positive. Mm. The Windows 11 required thing, you could argue that sort of goes the same way, but I think that's, I think it's what he's saying here or what you've been saying is more accurate with Windows 11 because a lot of people are like, well, I'm already running Windows 10. You know, I don't want to have to upgrade, or I don't like Windows 11. I don't want to be guinea pig and jump on it just yet. Whatever, whatever the sort of issue there may be, and they think, well, I'm not going to upgrade to that yet because I'm not ready to upgrade to Windows 11. And also, it's not true. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's another issue as well. I think AMD, uh, sorry, AMD. I think Microsoft shot themselves, or Intel shot themselves in the foot there. Um, Intel, I got there. I agree. Day. Yeah, no, I, I entirely agree that Intel maybe made too big of a deal about Windows 11 that they didn't need to do that, at least for what I've seen in testing. I think even like Gamers Nexus, I think he just did his open review in Windows 10 to make a point that it, you don't need it. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> there was a few different ways you could go about that for sure. But yeah, it, it worked. I tested at Windows 10 uh, for not for my day one review, but I did some Windows testing prior. I think I included that in the 12900K review. But yeah, you don't need it. There are more. I think the reason why Intel <laughs> wanted reviewers to test Windows 11 is because mainly because there was just less compatibility issues there. I think that's really the main mm-hmm. thing. They wanted people to have, you, you obviously want reviewers to have the most flawless experience possible. Because if you're starting to report mm-hmm. that, oh, this pro- product had this problem and this didn't work and I ran into this. And how many times have we heard about AMD launches where it's like a Radeon 7 type deal where things crashed or fan profiles were all over the place and you couldn't overclock it and this was buggy and that That's was broken. That's just ridiculous too. Not to cut you off, but I just want to jump in. Like it's funny how recent graphics card launches have felt so much smoother than they did a few <laughs> years ago. Like that's true. Like Vegas launch, it's like, yeah, Wattman doesn't work. Well, then why is it even in the menu? Yeah, dude? Like, I know. What's going on? Yeah, I, I guess it comes back to smaller team, limited budget, all that sort of stuff that AMD's mm-hmm. been up against for such a long time. And obviously, both of their competitors are much, um, much better equipped in that regard. But yes, uh, sometimes I just look at it. I'm like, AMD, why, why? And we've been telling you how to fix this and what to do. And I know it's easy to say, do this, fix that. I know that's easy to do. But at the same time, it's like, for how long 
was it like, here's another AMD GPU and AIB cards are coming two weeks later. So we're reviewing this piece of crap with a blower cooler on it that sounds like <laughs> a jet at thermal throttles. And it's like, that is not your best foot forward. Stop doing that. And, and f- finally, they have stopped doing that. So that's good. But anyway, what were we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to completely. I mean, I guess to bring it back to the Windows 11 thing, just to be clear, though, you, you don't think there's a big perception by people that that uh, you haven't you don't think a lot of people are apprehensive to get Alder Lake because they're worried about Windows 11 or needing a more expensive. Yeah. Well, I guess let's just leave it at that. You don't think Windows think, 11 I is think, a headwind, though? I think Windows 11 is certainly. I don't think DDR5 okay. is. Um, I, but again, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But I, I certainly agree with Windows 11. Uh, I, I think Intel should have said, we recommend testing with Windows 11. I don't know what termina- what, what terms they would like to use, but you know, we've focused on compat- compatibility and obviously the thread scheduling and all that sort of stuff. For Windows 11, that's where you get the best experience. But it works just fine for the most part with Windows 10. So if you want to test there, that should be fine as well. But just be aware... You know, there are a few more compatibility issues there that we're working to resolve. Something like that would have probably played off a bit better than a lot of reviewers just saying Windows 11 is required because that's kind of what Intel mm-hmm. said. And so I guess technically the question was about Zen 3D's launch. You think by, you know, quarter one or end of quarter one next year, people will not think they need Windows 11 by then? Or you yeah. think that's always going to be something AMD will make a big deal about? You don't need to upgrade to Windows 11 yet. <laughs> Hopefully AMD doesn't do that because they would know that they're bending the truth there and you know taking things out of context. I know Intel has sort of said that, but it's been proven that's not really the case, especially if compatibility issues are largely resolved by then. Uh, I expect by February next year they would be if that's when Zen 3D is coming. I'm just totally guessing. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's... The thing with Zen Zen 3D is Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, I think Intel is going to be largely irrelevant because it'll be have who's going to be upgrading or buying Zen 3. I I guess that is yet to be seen, but a lot of people will be already on the AM4 platform. It'll be people who have held out, I suppose, or just happen to be upgrading at that point in time. And then they'll be tossing up between what's available from either company and, you know, that stuff all comes down to pricing and availability, as I've said way too many times already. So I don't think Windows 11 or DDR5 will really play into that at all. It'll just be the pricing and availability thing. Zen 3D is really for a final upgrade for existing owners, probably. Mm-hmm. And Alder Lake's there for someone who wants a new platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because anyone who wants a brand new platform, too, it's like even if they're an AMD diehard, they're probably waiting for Zen 4, let's be honest. Yeah, that would make sense. And, you know, hopefully that is something we get late next year. Um, No idea on that one, but that's certainly what, again, what AMD's indicated. So we'll have to wait and see. Reese. Reese, stop lounging around. Black Friday is right now if you know what you're doing. You see my dog, Reese here is stuck in the past. She thinks you need to lose sleep and hound all of the latest deals on a single day if you want the best deals for shopping this holiday season. That, that's just simply not true anymore. If you want the best deals on Steam, 
PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows keys, go to cdkeyoffers.com all November to get special discounts site-wide. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get a special 30% discount. This is the biggest discount on their website right now if you're building a shiny new Alder Lake system. And again, remember, you can use the code DIESHRING to get 3% off everything else on the website. Whether you want to get the shopping for software keys out of the way now or just get something you want right now, don't be like Reesey. Don't wait. Get all of the online keys you need, whether Windows or gaming, at cdkeyoffers.com all November. Again, use offer code BROKENSILICON for 30% off Windows keys and use the code DIESHRINK for 3% off everything else on the website. Using cdkeyoffers.com with these codes helps Moore's Laws dead a lot and it saves you money. Go to cdkeyoffers.com today. Agent 2 writes in, and he asks, Good day, Tom and Steve. It feels awesome to write my first reader mail. It's been an awesome ride since following your channel since 2019. To my question, why haven't reviewers pointed out the HEDT-like qualities of a Z690 motherboard with Alder Lake? When someone actually looks at the block diagram of Z690, it shows the link between CPU and chipset is 8 PCI Gen 4 lanes, just like Threadripper and Threadripper Pro. This is double the bandwidth in AM4 and, AM4 and X570. Well, the platform for Alder Lake doesn't have the same PCIe lane count as AMD HDD counterparts. It still gives the buyer more options for what he or she wants to connect than X570 does. Could you really make the argument that Alder Lake S Z690 could be an HDD light for chipset and bandwidth and CPU performance? Therefore, bump up the motherboard pricing is justified. Take care and keep on rocking. I guess this is something I've kind of pointed out too, is that it's like, you know, this does have a lot of next-gen features that X570 doesn't have. And X570's old. You could make the argument, especially if you consider Raptor Lake supposed to go to, you know, whatever, 24 cores total next year that, I mean, the reason it costs more is it just has the newest features and is almost an HDT light at a time where AMD's HDT is still just Zen 2. <laughs> where do you start? So it's, it's all true. It, it, it has new features, but at the same time, it's like, well, you'd expect that of a new platform. If it didn't, mm -hmm. it'd be kind of like, what are you doing, Intel? So, yeah. It'd be it, almost like if Comet Lakes was still on PCIe <laughs> 3.0. Wow, yeah. That, so you, you'd expect to see that progress at the very least. So, yeah, it does have it. HEDT Lite, sure. I guess why reviewers didn't make a big deal about it though you know we've mentioned that sort of stuff and how that justifies the higher board pricing i suppose even though again you'd kind of expect it anyway it's maybe it circles back to how much the viewers the people watching the reviews actually care like do you care that you've got pci express 5.0 for example to mm -hmm. the primary slot like do, when is that going to be of benefit so how much do you care? Do you care if you can have three M.2 drives or five? Like for how many people is three not enough? Um, so, and I'm, mm. I'm, not, I'm not advocating for one way or the other. Obviously more of things is better, but at what point are you willing to spend more? Again, this may be the future proofing argument coming into it again. Like how many, M like I've got a Threadripper system with three M.2 drives at the moment and I can put two more in I believe I haven't done it yet and I've had the thing for quite a while mm -hmm. I don't know if I ever will but it's nice to have that 
ability to do so if I need to. But again, one of the drives isn't particularly large. And I think I paid what you pay for about an eight terabyte version now, which is about eight times larger. So I'd probably just do that and replace the drive. So, but again, like it's such a, a difficult one to discuss because the argument is different if we're talking about like a 12 900k part opposed to a 12 600k and that's mm -hmm. why i really took a very different approach to each one of my three reviews covering the core i9 i7 and i5 parts when it came to the value aspect because a lot of people were like you know you can put the ryzen 9 5950x on a hundred dollar b550 motherboard so it's way cheaper <laughs> And it's yeah. like, it's like yeah, you could do that. You definitely can do that. But how many people are going, I'm going to spend, what is it now? Like still 700 or something dollars? Yeah, it's about 750. Yeah, it's like, this seems reasonable and something that I would do, spend 700-ish US dollars on my CPU and then $100 on my piece of crap motherboard that doesn't have VRM cooling. It's like, who's who's even buying B550 for that processor? I mean... in yeah, I, who was doing that? I, I, I'm struggling. It's got to be so niche where you're like, yeah. I don't need all those extra features, but I need a 16-core CPU. And I want to say, like, I think the, uh, the $100 board is absurd. You can get, like, a B550 Tomahawk, which is a really good quality board, for $150. But then it's, like, maybe $50 more for the X570. So you're buying, again, an absurdly, well, it's not absurdly, but a very expensive 16-core CPU to save $50 on your motherboard. Who's doing that? So I was comparing, a, I think it was a mid-range X570 to sort of a mid-range Z690, which is, they're both just shy of $300 mm -hmm. and they're about the same price. Depending on how you're coming at it, what you're looking at it, those motherboard features and things play a completely different role in how important they are, who needs them, are they ever going to use them. But yeah, I think... Um, I think if you're talking about Ryzen 9 versus Core i9 and you're getting a a relatively high-end motherboard, then yeah, those extra features could come into play. But really emphasizing them and making them out to be a big deal is probably not the way to go about the review either. Yeah, I mean, I would say, just to nip one conversation point in the butt, I, I think the idea that Z690 is overpriced is a little overblown. I don't know what people remember, but in 2019, I was one of the people that bought a 3950X and I was like so excited, like they did it. They have 16 cores <laughs> and a processor and I own it, God dang it. But X570 was not cheap when it came out. My brother got one mm. in late 2019 and it was a budget X570 it was micro ATX, one of the only ones at the time that was micro ATX. It's like he got a deal at Micro Center, but usually it was $180. Mm -hmm. I don't know. When I look around, the cheapest Z690s are about $180 to $200, mm -hmm. guys. Mm -hmm. Three years later, I, I don't think Z690 is actually overpriced at all. Melodic Warrior writes, and he goes, glad to have you back, Steve. My question is regarding PCIe Gen 5 and the integrated graphics on the CPU. A few people I've spoken with regarding Alder Lake have already run into some minor issues with Gen 5 on the platform if they're using any GPU that does not run Gen 4 or later natively. Do you have a similar experience when testing? Also regarding the integrated graphics, it seems that the drivers are being somewhat funky where in normal Windows it works fine, but when you use games in DX11 or even some Vulkan titles, there have been reports of random graphical overlays interfering with image quality, artifact lines, UI scaling issues, and so on. Did you take a small test rise with those integrated graphics? And if so, what's your experience? So I guess there's two different questions there. Yeah, and my answer is going to be unsatisfactory for both of them because uh, I haven't even tested the integrated graphics at all. 
and I've only used the 6900 XT on uh, any Elder Lake boards. I just purely haven't had time to look at anything else. Yeah, look, the integrated graphics thing we didn't bother looking at because even if it was half decent, I mean, if it was, if it was good, we'd, we would have looked at it, but I'm not expecting it to be good. But like, do you really want to buy a 12600K or a 12700K or 12900K I'm getting basically. I'm getting. Do you want to spend over three hundred dollars to use integrated graphics? I suppose in 2021, maybe. Uh, but, <laughs> but really, if we had an affordable part that made sense to compare with like a 5600G, then that would be separate content we would do where we'd look at integrated mm-hmm. graphics performance. But anyway, to answer the question, I haven't done it yet, just simply due to time. Well, and that does bring us to the next reader mail. Beefish writes and he says, I know laptop reviews are normally Tim's area. <laughs> I know in your recent video, you saw very marginal improvements in gaming performance for DDR5 versus DDR4. However, do you see DDR5 benefiting the integrated GPUs in Alder Lake and AMD Rembrandt? Uh, well, I guess I'll butt in here. I do know that the new Alder Lake, you know, the mobile ones are coming out with triple the execution units to the desktop variants. I don't know if they're launching any of those on desktop though, so I don't. You know, I don't know if he's asking on desktop for that or and on mobile, I'd expect it to. But he says, do you think 96 execution units of XE will be competitive with 12 compute units of RDNA 2 with a similar amount of DDR5, LPDDR5? You know what we know about both architectures? And he's bringing up AMD's upcoming APU that's probably going to be announced. You can believe it. it since CES in January, so probably in two months, hmm. they're probably going to announce their next APU lineup. So... And do you expect basically AMD to keep the APU graphics performance lead over the mobile Alder Lakes? Uh, I that would be my expectation, um, but it's again, it's not based on a whole lot of data. So how useful that is, I'm not sure. But I, I would expect them to. But I mean, I guess that's why it'd be interesting to see some 32 execution unit testing with Alder Lake eventually, which I have noticed almost no one has tested it. Um, which, I, again, like you say, because probably no one's buying it for that. It's because mm-hmm. you can probably just take that, multiply it for three by three. That's basically, at best, what their mobile yep. integrated graphics are going to be in laptops next year. I guess that's the one thing I'm looking to see. Yeah, it would be very interesting. And again, that's uh, Tim will be handling yeah. all of that. Um, as for how beneficial DDR5 will be, it should be quite beneficial, I would have thought, for integrated graphics. We'll have, to, we'll have to test that. Again, it's like, you know, if it's of a similar price, then sure, um, that may be of benefit. Obviously, right now, regardless of the performance uplift, it's probably not going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess when it comes to testing, though, I do want to pivot to a discussion about this then. Like Clean Sweep writes in, he says, hey, Tom and Steve, now that we're entering the wild and wonderful world of combining different sorts of cores on the same packages for different use cases, how will CPU testing evolve? It seems like things are going to get really complicated really quickly with not just big little, but also specialty hardware like neural engines affecting test results and specific tasks. So I did want to ask you that, like, just kind of openly and casually. We have big little. And there's integrated graphics. But moving forward, there might be big, medium, little, <laughs> and a neural engine, and then another accelerator for certain tasks. And then it might be competing with an AMD architecture, hypothetically. Like, let's just, and I'm just throwing this out there as an idea mm-hmm. that has some of the same accelerators, but not the others. But then it also may have four way hyper threading. Like, 
Have you, I, I, like, just have you thought at all about, like, how, I guess, complicated, I'm not even going to call them CPU, SOC reviews, could get in the next few years? I think the answer is it won't get any more complicated. My reason for that is, and this comes back to, you know, people talking about the E-cores and P-cores and how you're going to go about testing all that. It's like, it, it's all irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Like you, you shouldn't care. Basically, you drop the CPU into the socket, you fire replication, and the resulting performance is what it is. So, if it's a situation where we have to pick between certain things, like where it gets very complicated, is stuff like DLSS ray tracing. Do you enable it? Mm. Do you test it separately? Do you can? That's when things become complicated. But when it's a simple matter of you plug the CPU and the architecture is what the architecture is. Like it's up to Intel, AMD to make it work well. Uh, are we just slotted in, run the benchmarks and the numbers are the numbers? So I don't think that is going to make our job any more difficult than it already is. Seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I can see what you're saying. It's like, I think there's different types of tests. Like I think you see sometimes on some websites where they like try to get really, really into the nitty gritty of like IPC and this exact way of Mm -hmm. doing a thing and like what is theoretically the better thing. But I suppose at the end of the day, you know, whether it's Raptor Lake, Meteor Lake, Zen 8, you know, whatever you're buying, like you're going to put it in a system and it's like, these are the games people are playing. These are the editing software people are playing. This is the encoding software people are using. Yeah, (laughs) Like, does it do it better than the other one? I don't care how they did it. Exactly. If anything, it makes my job much more exciting and interesting because we do enjoy doing that follow-up content where we'll disable e-cores, we'll disable as many p-cores as we can and maybe use process lasso to get rid of the p-core and see how the e-cores perform. And that's stuff I'm doing at the moment. And, you know, when you get different uh, memory standards on the one platform and you compare ddr4 ddr5 or whatever it may be so that's all exciting interesting follow-up content that we can do there's a lot of content around that platform so if anything it's beneficial to us but yeah for the for the review where and i think that's where people confuse like for science follow-up testing with actual product review testing and so for product review testing i don't really want to be including a lot of hey if you do this to the cpu what does that do and i really just want to give sort of information that is buying advice so it's a product review and then do all the fun stuff later so yeah this won't change that yeah i suppose that's true as (laughs) honestly this is a really it's the problem for intel and amd how they increase performance Mm -hmm. but once they do it all we care is the performance exactly switching gears here i think this is a good transition question sarcastro writes in he says tom and steve what do each of you think is the most groundbreaking development during the last year of newly released consumer devices? And can any of you state or give any idea as to what you think will be the most important development in the next year so, or two? So, yeah, this year, what do you think was the biggest release, which is quite a loaded question considering the shortages this year? Mm. And next year, and then in the next two years, what do you think the biggest development will be? And it doesn't need to be CPU, CPU, GPU, anything remotely doing with like, you know, PC hardware? Well, generally with these sort of questions is we we get asked them fairly regularly for our Q&A series. And I'm always, mm-hmm. um, what's the word? A bit selfish, maybe. It's always about me. What was a big deal for me? So it's like, I like 
previous years I've said Threadripper, Threadripper, Threadripper because you know it improves my workflow and all that sort of stuff. And I think I'll stick with doing that. So for me, the biggest tech-related product release or product that I got my hands on was Starlink. Like tech-related product, that was the coolest thing. I, I, I don't know when that was actually released, which year it was released, but for me it was released this year. I could only get it as of mm-hmm. October. Um, and it's been oh, for your internet. I'm actually pulling it up right now. I, I just wanted to make sure I'm like, that's that, uh, Elon Musk internet or whatever, isn't it? And it's yeah. Like, yes, so for me, that that's, what that that's is. been the biggest game changer in the moment. That's been the most exciting. Yeah. That's been the most exciting thing I've got this year, um, in, in tech. So kind of outside the wheelhouse here, so if that, but, but that would be my answer rather than something boring, like Elder Lake. <laughs> so basically to, to give you some context, we, we have um, we have this thing called the MBN, the National uh, Broadband Network. And depending on where you are, your version of it can vary greatly mm-hmm. from like fiber to the yeah. premise, fiber to the node. Uh, I've got fixed wireless, which is the, uh, whenever you're at the ISP, they sort of laugh and say they feel sorry for fixed wireless people because it's worse than third world country internet. Uh, it's 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 so bad. Like my upload speeds on it vary between like two to five meg- megabits per second upload speed on it. So to up to give the, uh, the oh my god, that's a nightmare. You you do 4K videos too. That's terrible. To, to upload a 20 minute video, it would be at least an entire day, maybe a bit longer. <sighs> so if I went to and then what if something goes wrong, oh, right? While you're uploading, well, what if? I need to redo it again because <laughs> there was a mistake. Mm. It, it's just it, I couldn't run the channel off that. So my solution was I bought an unlimited uh, 5G phone plan. Um, it's actually 4G where I am, but that uploads at about 50 megabits per second. So it's like 20 minutes or whatever, and I've got a video uploaded. So that's great. It's much more expensive than Starlink, though, uh, but I've still kept it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tax write-off, business expense, all that sort of stuff. So it does make sense to have it as a as backup. A backup yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And then Starlink came along. I ordered it earlier in the year. It actually arrived pretty well when they were, um, expected it to. And it uploads at about, I think about 30. So it's slower than my unlimited 4G, but it's still significantly better than uh, the, any alternative I had um, that was sort of a fixed internet plan. And the downloads are like 300. So that's mm-hmm. actually been a bigger game changer for me than I anticipated. One of the big problems I have, which people may not you know, think of, with the MBN, I can download at about five megabytes per second, five, six thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And you know that's obviously okay for general internet usage. But then when you've got uh, a four terabyte Steam library that you like to keep updated <laughs> because you do 30 to 40 game you know, benchmarks... Yep. That is a nightmare for me. Like the, I can't tell you the amount of times I've had to change gears and just reschedule my day because I've gone, okay, in three days, we have a 6,700 XT versus, you know, whatever 30 game benchmark. I've got to get cracking on this one. I've got a little data done. I'm going to do an 18 hour day today, just doing nothing but benchmarking. So I'll get up first thing in the morning, fire the computer up, open Assassin's Creed Odyssey, 40 gigabyte patch. Okay, I'll try. Oh, it. Yeah. God, yeah. And then you end up finding out that you've got to download 200 gigs worth of data since the last week that you did the testing. And that's the day written off. The computer sits there all day downloading and updating mm-hmm. games. So then I've got to quickly change gears and work out, okay, I've got to actually do something else with my time now so I don't waste the day. 
Whereas with Starlink, it's like that thing downloads so quickly, uh, you know, in a matter of hours, if I had that much data to download, it's done. So while that's a bit annoying, I can do emails, a few other business related things, and then jump straight to the benchmarking. I don't lose a whole day there. So for me, that's been awesome. It's, um, <laughs> I'll probably do like a review on it, a dedicated video on the channel in a few weeks. Uh, but the short version is upload speed's not amazing, but it's certainly usable for a YouTuber. The download speeds are quite amazing, compared, especially compared to what I had. <laughs> and the latency is not terrible. It's like 30, 40 milliseconds, which some people may scoff at. But again, that's the same mm. as the MBN. The only problem is it's not super reliable for gaming. Occasionally, you will get pauses, I suppose, oh. when it's like locating a new satellite or something. So it's not flawless for gaming. I wouldn't recommend it if you want a game. Having said that, if you've got nothing better than, well, you know, it's that it, it, it's some some something of an upgrade, let's say. So anyway, that's been really good for me. I, I don't know if that was really the kind of answer you were looking for. No, but that's a good answer because when it comes to graphics cards, it's like, look, the big ones came out last year, yeah. the ones that actually push new levels of performance. Anything coming out this year is a mixed bag of not available, not the price we wanted. Like, for example, I, I some people thought it was controversial. I was like, I, what did I title it? I think I told you actually that the, I titled the 6600 XT review like, I, oh yeah, the title was pathetically competitive. And I think I had a turd with a crown on it was the thumbnail because I'm like, I don't know what you guys want me to tell you. It is the best option. And so I, I guess leading into, you know, uh, what was it? The uh, most important development in the next year or two or one or two, one mm -hmm. or two years. Yeah. I mean, what is the most important development? The most important development would be getting graphics cards. I think I've got one though, that I think people have already forgot about FSR. Like from the start of this year, we weren't sure when it was coming to it's already out and no one talks about it anymore. But I think for me, I would say FSR, DLSS actually being good in a lot of games now, and just this standardization I'm seeing, and, and importantly, not just on PC, but on consoles as well, of just dynamic resolutions, truly good upscaling techniques and methods of removing jaggies hmm. it's kind of removed a lot of the debate in terms of sharpness and i think all of these in one big bag and they all compete with each other in our choices for devs so i think you can't not group them together fsr dlss and these different types of like taa upscaling and fsr combined with dynamic resolutions Things look so much more consistent now and so much sharper at a constant 60 or higher, even on consoles, that I, I think it's hilarious to go back and look at games from even a couple of years ago. Like how a game, it's like, I guess I'll just turn down half of these settings <laughs> because if I sometimes go to these sometimes parts of this map, it'll just drop the frame rate in half. Like I, a, a very good example is Fallout 4. I was laughing. I was on top of, I said, Dan, come in here. And I was on top of a boat, one of the flying boats. And I'm like, I'm gonna look over this side of the boat over the same city. Look at this, Dan, it's 144 Hertz. And I turned around, now it's 70. It, why? <laughs> What's going on? Dynamic resolution, FSR, all of these things make it so that you don't always have to like, let's be honest, massively downgrade the graphics half of the time because it just keeps you at a constant level of performance. I don't know. I don't know if you have anything to add to that because I think FSR came out after we did the last Broken Silicon that you were on. Like, that kind of came, was a big deal. And I think people are already forgetting about it and talking about the next 
thing. But that, I mean, would you say that's a huge deal as well? Or do you not see FSR or DLSS as a big deal? Because at this point, I am kind of in the camp that it's been so long that we haven't had good solutions to having a resolution at a slightly lower one without looking terrible. Yeah, I mean, they're both uh, great technologies for gamers. The problem, the problem I have with DLSS and, and mm-hmm. FSR to a not to the same degree. It's got it's a different issue I have with that. But DLSS can be anywhere from like really great. Like I can't tell that DLSS quality is enabled apart from the fact that my frame rates you know gone through the roof. So that's cool. To just disgustingly bad. That, that's sort of the problem mm-hmm. I have with DLSS. Like I was playing the new F1. 2021 game the other day and i I thought what Mm -hmm. the hell is wrong with my monitor Uh, because i've got a brand new 4k 144 hertz monitor and Mm -hmm. i haven't hadn't used it that much for gaming but i hadn't noticed any issues and the ghosting was just horrific the trailing behind the cars like off the front wing um the front antenna on the the nose was sort of jittering all over the place i couldn't work it out i thought what the hell and then I thought, oh, I've got DLSS enabled. I wonder if that's messing with it. I turned it off and it was just a different game. Like the frame rate was still excessively high anyway because I was using a high-end card, but it was just sharp, clear, no ghosting, like not even a hint of ghosting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, th- something has to be wrong there. So I reset the game, came back in, enabled DLSS, reset the game again, came back in, just horrible ghosting. I did a bit of Googling and yeah, apparently DLSS has been absolutely garbage in the F1 games forever i don't know if it's been yeah. fixed now i don't know but this was about a month or so ago um and then like i play a bit of Fortnite, and dlss in that like dlss is still useful in that game because i often play on my editing rig which is 4k and i don't want to you know downscale too much so unable to dlss but yeah again same thing you jump jump in a car any fast moving scene really bad ghosting with dlss enabled like it's horribly noticeable uh, definitely detracts from the gaming experience so it's pretty bad there as well but yeah there are games where it's great um, so i don't know have you tried it in battlefield 2042 not yet no no oh yes no sorry yeah i did i put it on couldn't tell yeah i, I played last night same with me i played it yeah. for the first time this morning yeah. and i was like nice free boost same with metro exodus yeah. enhanced edition i'm like works fine you know <laughs> but it is still a mixed bag though isn't it, it is it is and i guess that's the problem i have with using it in reviews or like you know because we do the big benchmarks and people mm-hmm. like oh you know you're such an amd shield why haven't you enabled i was gonna DLSS? say you have to remember you're an amd fan that's that's now, that's so right that's why you're doing it that's right and <laughs> and um i i just think the problem with dlss is it needs to be constantly evaluated at each resolution at each game and that's just not mm-hmm. it's just not feasible for the for a reviewer to do like it's separate content where you look at dlss so I think including that, to, and, and FSR is the same same basket. Like, you know, FSR is always, from what I've seen, great at 4K. It's just always good. Mm-hmm. I have I haven't I haven't done nearly the investigation that Tim has, but I have used it a bit, and I've not seen a bad 4K example. So I'm not sure if one exists, but I haven't seen it. 1440p is generally pretty good as well, pretty good. But I've always found it to be pretty horrific at 1080p, just not useful which is a shame because that's for me that, I mean, yeah, getting higher FPS at 4K is certainly very useful for it on the high-end cards, but then for it to be a really great value feature that I get super excited about, I know you're not paying for it, but it adds value to those lower-end products. If it was just as beneficial at 1080p, I think, yeah, it'd be a big deal. But because it's not, 
And yeah, DLSS struggles at 1080p as well. It's nowhere near as good as it is at the high resolutions. It's just less data there to fill in the gaps, but it's better in the games where it's good. <laughs> in the games mm -hmm. where it sucks, it still sucks. So yeah, I, I think that's, I think I agree with that. I think DLSS seems to be better than FSR when it's at its best, mm -hmm. but then FSR is just more consistent mm. and less of a, I don't know if the, I mean, and, and like, it's only really DLSS is good at its higher levels. I tried ultra performance mode <laughs> in Metro Exodus and there was a crane moving something in one of the DLC missions. Like it's like underground. It's like a crane, like picking up a car and moving it when you're going past it. And I noticed that in the distance, the car <laughs> turned from a car shape <laughs> to like just a random polygon porcupine. It's phasing. If DLSS, yeah, it was like just turned into a different shape yeah, in the yeah, distance. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's something that FSR doesn't do. <laughs> My God. Yeah, uh, well, at least you've got the quality mode, I suppose. But yeah, it it just it varies too much. It's too um, it's too unreliable to use always on in a benchmark. And again, I've had problems with you know, when I've watched other reviews and they've looked at certain games and they've raved about how great DLSS is, and they've only used it at 4K with a flagship GPU. Mm -hmm. And I don't disagree with their their analysis of what they're seeing, but then it's like, well, you turn down to 1440p and there is quite a significant drop in how effective it is. And then 1080p, it's terrible, but they're testing at those three resolutions and showing the performance boosts at all three resolutions while mm. only doing the visual analysis at 4K, which is the best case scenario. And I don't think anyone's doing that deliberately. To It's just... It takes a lot of work to do three IQ comparisons and they just pick 4K because I don't know, it makes sense for whatever reason. Um, probably because actually the reason they would, the reason YouTubers would do it is because it makes sense mm. for video. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to be doing 1080p footage in a 4K video because then you just get really low bit rate, it's all blocky and you can barely tell what's going on. So to actually show the differences, that's why they're going for 4K. I guess let me ask this then. Moving into 2022, which one are you more bullish on on being the bigger feature, DLSS or FSR? Another, and let me like phrase it another way: like, do you see DLSS getting like a 2.1 or a 3.0 update, getting support in every game, or do you think it's more likely FSR just gets wider support and be, looks as good as DLSS or better than DLSS most of the time? Like, which technology are you more bullish on in terms of being something you can wave around as a major feature? Um, hmm. as for next year, I don't know if much will change from what, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe less on the DLSS front, probably more on the FSR front, let's say, but yeah, I don't think the battle's going to evolve too much next year. Obviously it's just going to be what we've seen with every other technology ever before. At least I say, obviously it seems obvious to me that whichever technology is open always wins. Like what proprietary sort of feature for an open platform, which is what the PC platform is, has succeeded. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's an obvious example that I'm not. Well, I mean, with. come on, PhysX, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it'll be very similar to maybe like the FreeSync, G-Sync type deal. I mean, I, I don't know if it can be that though, because NVIDIA is really pushing on mm -hmm. the fact that you need tensor cores, you, you need the actual hardware to do it. It, obviously, it'll be very interesting to see what Intel comes out with and whether that sort of sweeps both of them aside. Yeah. That's seems like a big if, but... Because actually super sampling kind of seems like it's almost in the middle of if you were to compare them. It's like it works on all products and accelerates 
or I shouldn't say accelerates. It works on ba- pretty much all architectures, including NVIDIA and AMD, as far as we can tell. Mm. And it will supposedly do FSR like image enhancement. But at the same time, they say that their architecture gets a special benefit of performance from it because it's built from the ground up for, you know. The, the thing is, I think that's what FSR is going to eventually be for RDNA 3, though, too. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, basically, well, with those two technologies, though, it seems like they have much more chance of becoming mainstream than DLSS, unless NVIDIA makes some kind of change. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I just did a live stream and I talked about this. I let it slip, so I guess I'll say it again now. I've heard a whisper that NVIDIA may launch uh, NVIDIA FSR, like they did their version of G Sync, that's basically just FreeSync as well. So. I, I, it's not like those things, like obviously if I was 100% sure what NVIDIA was going to do, I would have done a leak video on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm starting to get indications NVIDIA may pull a similar scenario to what they did with G-Sync where they basically just asked manufacturers to put G-Sync on a FreeSync monitor. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if NVIDIA starts doing that with FSR. No, I wouldn't be either. That seems like the natural progression again based on recent history. That's how they would go about it. So we'll have to see. Yeah. I mean, do you think they'll keep working hard on DLSS or do you think, again, just like before, they'll just slowly phase that out and just basically morph what they call DLSS into their version of FSR? Yeah. I'm not. They could certainly do both and make DLSS the real mm-hmm. premium upscaling feature, which is obviously what they're pushing for and have been pushing for. It depends mm-hmm. on how they're able to continue implementing support for that, how many game developers they can get. Obviously, they've had some big wins um, recently Mm -hmm. with support for that. So the future is looking bright for it. So if they can keep developing it, they've really got to get it to the point where if it is implemented, it's not garbage. That's what they've got. You you don't want garbage examples of your yeah. premium technology, and that's that's been this this has been the problem with DLSS from the start. Like you know, they blame the developer for the the Battlefield Five implementation and how horribly sideways that went. And that was just that was so bad. That was, that was just yeah, and that that's sort of what DLSS <laughs> has been up against since the start. Yeah, you know, it's funny. People still bring up that it's not fair that I bring up Battlefield 5 as an example for, which I guess I won't bring it up anymore because now we have a new Battlefield out finally. But, <laughs> you know, people bring up Battlefield 5 as not fair to point to for ray tracing being silly or DLSS not working well. And I'm like, literally, their flagship deal, like <laughs> their flagship ray tracing game and their trailers was Battlefield 5. I can't use this as an example of why it doesn't work well sometimes. Yeah, that's... I mean, come on, they're, guys. They're 100% wrong there and actually bordering on being absurd for not only that reason, and this is, again, when FSR came out, this was overlooked. And Tim and I tried to make it clear and still R slash NVIDIA lost their minds over it and we were AMD unboxed or whatever. You can't look past the fact that... Their CEO was up there telling you these were the new cutting edge must-have features. They just worked. You don't want a game without them. They were cramming this down your throat and selling it to you. It was a key selling point of the product. They needed to deliver. It needed to be good. And Turing had no other redeeming features. It was like, here's Pascal, but fatter and more expensive. The same, mm-hmm. like, the same performance, but worse pricing. And I mean, we look at that in 2021 and it's, you know, it was a different time back then, but Turing had no other redeeming features. It, the, re, the redeeming feature was that it supported these new cutting edge must have features. That's what you were sold. 
that's the only reason anyone with Pascal would even consider upgrading. And upon release, like it was just tumbleweeds for ray tracing and DLSS. Mm-hmm. And then we finally got and it, we finally got an example of this exciting technology that everyone was shaking for. We were like, couldn't wait to check it out. It was going to be so exciting and seeing your reflection in cars and the explosions and then getting extra FPS because you could use DLSS. And then it was just an absolute shit show for lack of a better term. It was <laughs> so bad. And yeah, I mean, it was so bad. And there's no other way to look at that. And it's, it's they, they, it wasn't like an FSR thing where that wasn't promised. It was a feature that may come down the track. If you get it, it's just a free bonus thing. That wasn't like, let's not even pretend that DLSS and ray tracing were anything like that because they weren't. They were features that were sold to you to be game changing. So, mm-hmm. and they weren't for the, like everything probably, probably yeah. you said, Tim and I said, we were right. Like you're in denial if you think otherwise. By the time, you know, DLSS seems to work well in everything, it's like you could have just waited exactly. for cheaper prices or newer stuff. And in fact, now AMD can do ray tracing. And on average, their performance isn't as good. But in newer games, it's not always worse. So it's like, did you really get the future early? That is an argument I made a lot. Yeah, you de- with Turing, you definitely didn't. All you did was get rolled. Like, that that's all you it, it really is like you should have because oh, the, here comes amd unboxed again <laughs> I'm just kidding. The, the other thing as well you shouldn't overlook is the fact that the 1080 ti was so cheap prior to that launch mm-hmm. like if you had have snapped up one of those cheap 1080 ti's you'd still be using it today and be quite happy with it and what was that that was like 2080 performance mm-hmm. so the only reason with more ram yeah the only reason it's fallen away in some titles is because NVIDIA is always slow to optimize for the older architectures. They usually get there for at least the more recent ones. But anyway, I mean, that's, yeah, that's why I think you're wrong. Not you, people who say that. <laughs> this this hypothetical person that we've run into a few times, actually. Yeah, it's in the comments section, all angry, mashing their keyboard, <laughs> telling us that we're the worst ever. I am proud to say that Vite Ramen is a sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead. The Vite Ramen Company is an American company that pays its workers fair wages and engineered a tasty, healthy, and cheap meal that you can cook in less than five minutes. And these meals just got tastier with their updated version three of their ramen recipe. Meals aren't really healthy unless you keep coming back to eat the healthy ones. And that's what they've done with these updates to version three. Now is the best time to order some Vite Ramen. So if you're busy, hungry, or just looking for a pre-made meal that isn't expensive, get some nudes sent to you. Click the link in the description and use the code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on your order. This helps me, this saves you money, and this supports a good company. Buy Vite Ramen today. Well, I do want to pivot here to kind of a final, more general discussion on what we expect out of graphics cards next year. I mean, 2021 is almost over. Mm. Uh, I do want to ask, because I, I did a video, I've got some early indications of not just RDNA 3, but RDNA 4 performance. And it's not like I know all the specs and stuff. Frankly, even AMD doesn't. They haven't finalized exactly how they'll segment everything in Mm -hmm. three years from now. But it sounds like RDNA 3 is going to be about as big of an uplift as, you know, RDNA 2 was. 
Uh, it might be more, but it's probably going to be a lot more expensive. Mm. And RDNA 4 is probably going to be at least an ampere level increase over RDNA 3. But again, I've, I've literally been told they're like throwing around the idea of like $2,000 for the top one or more. Mm-hmm. Like, so I want to throw a hypothetical scenario out there because I, I really sat with that information and thought about what I think about this. I think there's an argument to be made, though, that as they increase prices, like, let me put it very specifically. If an RX 7600 XT, you know, so this is their, you know, let's say it's five nanometer mm-hmm. RDNA three card that is 200 millimeters square, 250. This would typically be cheaper in the past, was $400, but as strong as this RX 6800, is that disappointing because it's called the 7600 XT? Because I'm kind of expecting in three years from now, the top end to be two grand or more the equivalent of the 800 XT to be like 1200 or more and the 700 XT to be like $600, not 480 or it used to be 400 for the 5700 XT, but like 600. But if it's stronger than, you know, if it's that powerful, do you see that as disappointing or is it just something you've come to accept? Or like, what do you think about that scenario if that happens? Well, yeah, that pricing structure is obviously very disappointing, but completely out of my hand as a reviewer because I don't control what people spend their money on. Um, I mean, it's a step forward, isn't it, in terms of price to performance? It would be. And, you know, actually come to think of it, I'm going to actually share my screen with you. And what I'll do for people listening is I'll just put a link to that video so people know the chart I'm talking about. Here's the hypothetical scenario. All of this is rough. It's not meant to be an exact thing, but right now, and it's not really, but let's say a 3090 <laughs> is 1500. Mm-hmm. And then next year, the 7700 XT is around the same performance in $600. And then this, like, you see what I'm saying here? Yeah. Like, I think we're going to expect huge performance increases I mean, that year would, over year for. Yeah. I mean, that would look to interrupt you. Sorry. That would be, although we're seeing higher pricing at the top end, I've never been too concerned with top end pricing because if you want to buy that, whatever, I've always been concerned with what we get in that sort of mid-range to low end, if that's a good step up. And I think what you're posing here seems like a very good step up in terms of price to performance. Right. So, because I've seen a lot of people say I'm leaving PC gaming if this happens. And the first thing I would say is, I don't know what to tell you, you're kind of being outvoted by people who keep buying more expensive stuff, first of (laughs) all. So, I don't know. Um, But, like, let's say in 2024, Mm -hmm. the hypothetical RX 8950 XT is $2,500. Okay. (laughs) But if it's double the performance of, you know, like a a third, like if you're doing like 4K 200 at ease, I don't know. Does, is that a bad thing? Is it, you know, I, I understand the low end's kind of dead, but if the mid range is twice as much, but also twice the over twice the performance of what we have now, it, it like, at what point I would almost ask you, you know, at what point do you just stop complaining about the price increases and just focus on if performance has gone up? Because I'm, I'm starting to wonder that myself because I really do think both pricing but then performance are going to go up by a lot. Like, how do, do you mm. see it as that disappointing? And like, at what point will you just kind of stop worrying about that as much? Well, I think regardless, you always want to push back on pricing anyway. Um, and that, that's all you can ask of us as reviewers. Like we're always like, look, performance improvements really great, but the price has cracked up by fifty dollars. <laughs> so, like, and, and 
really, it's funny how reviewers often get blamed for these price mm. hikes because we've always been like, you know, it was $400 previously, now it's $450. We're not really wrapped with that. We really think it should be at the same price point, but, you know, they have reasons or whatever. So we're always pushing back against price. And I, and I think we'll continue to do that. We always want things to be cheaper for our viewers. But as long as we are still getting a reasonable performance uplift every generation, it's not a dud. It's not Turing, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that'll, I mean, what, again, what you've just shown me there, like if that comes to fruition, then yeah, that's pretty cool. But of course, though the MSRPs right now mean absolutely nothing, and I suspect those MSRPs, if the market continues the way it is, which it probably will for a while, those mm-hmm. those MSRPs are going to mean nothing as well. And you know, I can certainly understand people wanting to leave PC gaming when stuff like you know an RX, what's the RX sixty hundred XT at the moment like fifteen hundred dollars at best if you oh, want to buy from yeah, a major retailer. Yeah. So it's been absurd for a long time now. I guess is the point. And I don't see that changing with, I don't see that magically changing next year with a new generation, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And the other problem we've got is, you know, you can say that miners have been snapping up a good portion of these cards or, mm-hmm. or whatever non gaming entity it may be, but there are still plenty of gamers. Yes. With 3090s in hand, with 6800s and 3080s and all those high-end GPUs in hand, not as many as we'd like, but there's still plenty of them with them and none of them got them for MSRP. And AMD and NVIDIA are sitting Almost there. none of them. Like, That's right. None of them. Effectively none of them. Yeah. 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 And AMD and NVIDIA are aware of that. And they're like, well, we're still, get, we're still selling to gamers, you know, and they'll know, they'll have a very good idea of what percentage of, of these are ending up in gamers' hands. They know. They know. I, I keep trying to tell people that the overwhelming majority of the sales are to gamers, guys. It is not miners. You can't. And I think, frankly, a reason you see this is, I'll just say it. I think it's lazy reporting. I, I think it's easy for a lot of tech channels to just point at mining as a boogeyman because they'll get thumbs up in the comments. And <laughs> unfortunately, it's a lot more complicated than that. There's boats that are stuck outside of ports right now and pandemics and people seem to be willing to pay more. And it's just not popular probably to admit it, but it, it is mostly gamers accepting higher prices. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I'll, from my perspective, I don't know if it's mostly gamers or not. I don't disagree. I just, I don't know. But I, I certainly mm-hmm. agree that there's multiple factors at play and it's not just one thing. There are a whole host of reasons for why the market is in the condition it's in. Uh, and I will, I definitely agree that plenty of, not well, there is a good amount of gamers uh, for the amount of cards that are out there that are getting their hands on them. <laughs> so however many graphics cards are, are being sold at the moment, a reasonable percentage of that is gamers uh, for sure. So again, I don't know the numbers. I, I don't know whether it's a majority or what it is, but I know there is a reasonable amount of ma- gamers getting them. And I know that AMD and NVIDIA know how many gamers are getting them. And if the figure is reasonable, they know that you guys or a, a percentage of you guys are willing to pay huge figures. And again, like I, I don't want to get into the who's jacking the prices up, who's making yeah. the money, all that sort of stuff because, again, I think there's it, it'll vary from region to region. 
uh, it'll, it'll vary depending on some factors there. But I think, I mean, I don't know. I have no evidence to support it. But I think AMD and NVIDIA aren't making as much money as they could be. I know their earnings are huge and record profits and all that. But I think they're thinking, huh, you know, people are yep. paying thousands of dollars for these cards and our profit margins could be a lot bigger. And I think that's why what you've just shown me, I don't have a hard time believing that we're going to have Halo products that are mainstream gaming cards, like not mainstream, mainstream, more mainstream than Titan, let's say, that, that are getting those prices. Because... I mean, cats out of the bag, right? They know you'll pay more. That's right. That's right. And they know now. When the RTX 3080 was released and people were jumping up and down about the 3090 and look, you know, I bashed the 3090 in my review just as I did the 600 XT, so they were dumb products, you shouldn't buy them. But I also know why they exist. Uh, I'm not oblivious to why they're there and what, what their purpose is. And I put out a tweet, which I think was mostly well received. A few people got sort of their nose out of joint, but I just said, basically, guys, back when we were, you know, 10 years ago or more, it was computer nerds. Let's be honest who were buying Voodoo mm -hmm. graphics cards right up to like even the HD 5000 series. Like eSports weren't a thing. Um, gaming was not a mainstream activity that mum and dads did. And, you know, maybe they'd play on the console now and then, but it wasn't really, there wasn't that many PC gamers compared to what there is today. And today it's exploded for a whole host of reasons. Obviously, I think, again, one of those contributing factors to why graphics cards are so expensive is because of the pandemic. Like people were shut in their houses. Obviously, you know. Yeah, if there was ever a time to overpay, it's probably the one you're stuck inside. It was That's the winter to do it. It was kind of a perfect storm for gaming because it was already gaining in popularity. Mm -hmm. You know, esports, there were like football leagues and stuff now. You know, so there's there's obviously soccer, the European version of Australia. We have what we call football, but there were, you know, football leagues, at least locally, were getting involved in esports, having esports teams and stuff. So they were sort of taking the sporting world digitally and obviously stuff like racing games f1 there's been a huge push and that, that that really got accelerated by the pandemic and even stuff like microsoft flight simulator like my dad played a bit of that during the pandemic mm. he was stuck at home he's used computers for work and that never played games he absolutely hates them he's all about getting outside and <laughs> playing golf and doing all that sort of stuff that his generation likes to do and he was blown away by microsoft flight simulator quite enjoyed that and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other people his age that would have never PC gamed before, but they had absolutely nothing else to do with their time and spent like for my dad to drop $5,000 on a gaming system is no big deal. He's like, okay, well, it's going to give me something to do. I enjoy it. Like, you know, golf memberships aren't cheap here in Australia at good courses. So <laughs> he's like, I can't do that. So it's $2,000 you tell me. I don't know what it was previously and I don't care. It's going to allow me to pass the yep. time and not go mad. So, you know. He's not an idiot, but to him, it's like, that's what it costs to do this thing, so I'll pay it. And it's the same thing, like people that wanted to play F1 games and do all that, they don't care what the previous generation costs. They're like, oh, okay, gee, that's pretty expensive. But and I've sort of talked about this with friends who aren't into the computer scene, and they've just spent an enormous amount of money on mm -hmm. a computer. And I'm like, oh, man, it's a bit crazy how much I've spent that. And they're looking at me like, is it though? Like... You know, I used to go to the movies. I used to go bowling. I used to do this and that and to spend sort of entertain myself. And this is comparatively quite cheap. Like I've already got internet. The biggest thing I, I just keep saying is, you know, it, it's fine 
that it's a hobby. It is a hobby. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, there's people who build their own cars. It's a lot more expensive <laughs> than building your own PC, That's for man. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's, but don't ask me when I analyze these products to tell you you're smart. Because I'm not going to if I don't think that. I'm not going to say you're stupid if you say, I built this PC and spent more because I wanted to because it's fun. Uh-huh. I, there's no argument there. It, I, you're right. not wrong. Uh-huh. It is fun for you. But stop asking me to tell you you are smart for buying the 3090 because <laughs> I don't think you are actually. <laughs> and I think there's this weird thing where people have to tell themselves, I was smart for buying this 10 core Broadwell E. I was smart for buying, you know, it's like, just admit it's a hobby and the entire debate ends. Mm. You've got to admit it's a hobby. And also, Please remind yourself how much you're spending, though. You're right. For some people, this is nothing compared to other hobbies. But like a few years ago, I got into like kind of like almost survival camping where like I really go into the woods, chop up the wood myself, like put out a tent and like stay out in the wilderness Mm -hmm. on really nice tent, a really nice backpack, really top of the line gear to where it's like I'm ready for the apocalypse. I, it was a lot less than one (laughs) graphics card or something like, just keep in mind the other hobbies you could be doing too, Mm. when you spend five grand on this, because I think you can afford two other hobbies now instead of one PC. So just put everything in perspective, but no one can argue with you if it's worth it to you. Just stop making us tell you, you are smart for spending more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And with the hobby thing, obviously it just comes down to what is a hobby? It's Part of it is to learn something different or do something you're passionate about, ultimately pass the time, give you something to do outside of work. And if, you know, like I I would have loved to have done carding as a kid, but that's way too expensive. So I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I I did a different sport that was relatively cheap compared to that. But if you, as you become an adult, you know what you can afford and what you're passionate about and what you want to gear your life towards. So pick that thing. And again, PC gaming is pretty cool, but you know, you can have hobbies that can, well, you can make money off PC gaming, I suppose, but your hobby could be building things, woodworking or whatever. And then that's really constructive as well, but it's whatever you're passionate about, you enjoy. And again, even if you went into like woodworking, for example, you could spend well beyond what you'd spend on computer hardware every year on new tools to do that. Mm-hmm. You can also do it for next to nothing. It just depends on how you want to do it. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but as, as you're saying, it's like, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't want to try and justify why you went for the well beyond diminishing. Mm-hmm. Ret- you don't want to argue about why that was a smart thing to do. You just want to say, look, I had the money. I'm passionate about it. I get the enjoyment out of it. You can't put a value figure on the enjoyment I get out of gaming with premium hardware. Like I love experiencing the best stuff, um, even if it's only, you know, a very small percentages better. Uh, it just it um, what would be the word? it gives you sort of I don't know a, a, a deep sense of satisfaction or something like that. It's essentially what you're saying. You can't argue with that. It's like okay, cool. If that's your thing. That's fine. But don't try and tell me that it was smarter to buy a 3090 than a 3080, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, no. <laughs> At least at MSRP um, in an all market. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we've been going for a while. There is one thing I definitely want to get to that's tangentially related to next-gen graphics cards. So <laughs> Star Shepherd writes in, and he says, Anthony Gareffa from Tweaktown recently posted an article discussing a Twitter post from Graymon55 
the tweet supposedly leaks that NVIDIA and AMD graphics products could double performance, but also double power consumption. And would you accept it? He said he would. But what are your thoughts on graphics cards possibly approaching 500 watts of board power? Would it actually negatively affect a user's quality of life so much? Power bills, room temperature, maybe needing air conditioning, that it becomes untenable? So, and, and I can't say that I personally, and I don't know this person, uh, what is it, um, Graymon55 person. I don't know if he's lying. I don't think he is, but I don't know his track record by the off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. What I can say is I have heard suggestion uh, that it, like the 3090 Ti may be coming that's 450 watts, and that Lovelace, the next NVIDIA architecture, may have a 500-watt version so that with a monolithic design, they can compete with <laughs> RDNA 3. Like, at what point do you just start really hammering a product that's using 500 watts? Mm, okay, well, yeah, at the very least, you could have a hypothetical discussion about that question. Sure. I think, obviously, the 500-watt board power parts would be your extreme flagship beyond diminishing return parts that are just pushing... You know, well beyond mm-hmm. the efficiency window to get that extra five, ten percent performance or whatever it may be. So, you know, it's it's not going to be your mid-range product. They they will no doubt be much more uh, efficient and probably more what we're used to. I, I would expect five hundred watts. I think when we're talking about this, it's kind of like the the conversation we were just having about you know buying the thing because you want the thing that's really fast. And in this situation, it's like things like power bills, room temperature, needing air conditioning are all entirely irrelevant because you're just like, I've either got, maybe this is too harsh to say, and it probably is like, but it's the same sort of mentality, like more money than sense type deal. But that's probably too harsh. It's just, again, you're like, I've got the two and a half thousand dollars that I need for that flagship product. And I want it because I get you know, a deep sense of satisfaction from it. I really enjoy it. I'm passionate about it, whatever it may be. And also because I've got two and a half thousand dollars to dump on this thing that, you know, doesn't make me money. I obviously don't care about stuff like power bills, room temperature, because I, I've got that stuff well and truly covered. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you should be prioritizing paying your bills first before spending two and a half thousand dollars on a graphics card, if that is the situation. So that's why I think that stuff becomes irrelevant. Uh, and again, it, if 500 watts is the the peak power of the top end part, then the part under that maybe 400, and then you get down to 300, 200, and so on and so forth. So you would still be you would still be getting, I imagine, a good performance uplift at the same power usage would be my take on it. So I guess my question is though, right? Because it used to be like when I really started following stuff really heavily is like the HD 7000 series. It's like the 7970 uses double the energy of the 7850, but it's like kind of almost double the performance. Yep. You know, at what point though, do you not recommend it? So let's hypothetically say the 4080 is a 350 watt. They push it up to where the 3090 was Mm -hmm. next gen. And they're like, all right, this is, I don't know, let's say it's 50% stronger than a 3090 and it uses the same energy as a 3090. Get this. But then above that, they have a 4090 that's 500 watts. And let's say it actually uses 450 watts while you're gaming most of the time. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say that is 20% stronger. At what point do you say, actually, the 20% isn't even worth the extra heat in your room? Because I got to be honest, um, 
I reviewed the 3880 Ti and the A6000 together, and I thought the A6000 was really impressive. It had the same performance as a 3080 Ti while using less energy than a 6900 XT. Like, well, I guess that's some of what you're paying for when you get a $5,000 graphics card. But then the 3080 Ti, man, that thing just used so much energy. And some people were like, you should have overclocked it more. I'm like, "Mm, it was already using 400 watts. I just, I'm not going to use more than that in my house, man. (laughs) Like it just getting too hot in here. I I honestly was like, yeah, I, I, even if it's a little stronger than the 6800 XT, I think I'd rather have that so I don't make my entire house saturated with heat. I I have air conditioning. It's just absurd. Like it's still putting out the heat next to me. Mm. It's still making me warm with air conditioning on. Mm-hmm. I would have to turn up air conditioning at some insane blast to completely counteract it. Like at what point is that 20% not worth it using 500 watts to? Is it 20% you think it's worth it for the crazy people? 10% not worth it? Is 30% definitely worth it? That's kind of what I'm asking. Because I think there's a real question we're going to have to answer eventually. Well, I think the answer is or can be quite complicated. And again, it depends, as we often say, because there, while the, the power consumption, there's no real way of getting around it, like you are dispersing that into heat effectively, mm-hmm. that, that, that figure of heat. So what I'm about to say doesn't eliminate that, but it does help alleviate it. And it depends. Yeah. So for example, We've seen products that you or generate, no, use more power. We've seen products that use more power, but are actually cooler and quieter mm-hmm. than competing parts. So although mm-hmm. the power consumption is quite a bit higher, the end product for gamers, you know, power supply aside, is maybe better because it's faster, it's actually cooler and quieter. Uh, and you know, if you've got an 800 watt power supply, if your graphics card uses 300 watts or 400 watts, doesn't matter too much. I don't think you're really going to notice that on your power bill. Uh, and you know, I'm all for conserving energy and not wasting it, of course. But th- there are more factors to consider. So you could end up, although it uses more power compared to a competing part, it may end up being uh, a better experience. So again, there's no getting around the fact that it does use more power. But, and I'm assuming, right, if this happens, NVIDIA won't put a terrible cooler on it. That's, of course that's, they won't. That's sort of what I'm getting Let's at. not even worry about that. Yeah. yeah so if, if you're getting, uh, I can't remember the exact example, but there was a really good example I had a while ago where someone was complaining about a Radeon graphics card using more power than a cheaper GeForce card and sort of insinuating that therefore the GeForce card runs cooler and quieter. But it happened that the margin was much tighter on the Radeon card and therefore they had a bigger cooler that offset the additional power usage. And as it turned out, it was actually significantly quieter than the, the cheaper GeForce card and while delivering more performance just because they invested more money in the cooler, mm-hmm. which resulted in a better user experience both in terms of performance and operating volume slash temperature. So the, the power thing yeah, on its own doesn't tell the full story. But there is no getting around that 500 watts is just a disgusting amount of power to use for a graphics card. Uh, I mean, it's you'd almost wonder if it has to have some way of pulling it out of the case directly because dumping 500 watts of heat into your case, I can tell you that's going to affect stability for a lot of people. That's right. That's a small space heater right there. 
Um, you, you you actually you can buy room heaters that aren't 500 watts. So yeah, th- yeah, you're right. That's it's it's not practical. But again, that's where it comes back to the other part of the argument. It's like so 500 watts. You're not buying an entry level graphics card. Chances are you have a ridiculously good PC case loaded with fans. Um, you know, you, you, all of those kind of things are going on there. And maybe these parts end up being liquid cooled only because it's not a practical part mm-hmm. we're talking about. It's like a Fury no. X type product. So you may have a top mounted. Well, the Fury X actually only used around 250 watts though. No, but it was <laughs> it was liquid cooled as more like, you know, Vega yeah. 64 liquid or whatever it was as well as another example. Um, so yeah. There are ways. Which this would it. use fifty percent more energy than Vega liquid. Yeah, which is not. I don't know. I, I'm just. I, I don't know. I'm just wondering at what point though, because I've seen some of my friends who like got thirty nineties, and I'm and they were aftermarket ones sometimes, and the after the IIB ones. I mean, the, those ones use more energy almost always than the reference cards. Um, and I'm like, this is like a four hundred watt card. I know you say you don't care, but you're gonna care. And half of them wrote back to me, I sold it. I just couldn't take the heat next to me, even when I cranked up air conditioning. They're not practical, yeah. But you don't think it really matters because those are just to take the benchmarks, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the power consumption definitely matters. I think it does make the, the card um, you know, impractical for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure what comparison we're making here. Like, you know, again, is this a $2,500 card that just has the most insane cooling we've ever seen on a graphics card? And therefore, it actually... Yeah, you know, it's still using an absurd amount of power, but it's not as impractical as we would have thought. I mean, again, it's still dumping that heat. There's no way of getting around. Yeah, that. it's thermodynamics. Yeah. It is going to dump that much heat into yeah, your yeah, room, yeah. With, no matter how yeah, it does. You it. can keep it cool to the point where it doesn't thermal throttle. But I think, yeah, it seems a bit absurd to me. Like it's kind of like you know the Core i9 12900K. That thing is borderline absurd as well. So that's what 240-ish watts uh, from the the chip. And the thing is, like, you couldn't drive 500 watts out of that chip. You just you can't do it. There is absolutely mm-hmm. no way to cool it beyond like liquid nitrogen. Like you, you cannot extract the heat from that hot spot to make it usable. It's just not possible. There's no other. There's no form of liquid or air cooling we have that can do that. So a 500 watt. Graphics card, I, I don't know how different that would be. So like Threadripper and stuff, you can have significantly high power usage because you're able to spread. Yeah, because they're bigger. And yeah. yeah. yeah you, you've got multiple hot spots. So as long as the the, the cold plate is designed to, to deal with extracting the heat from those multiple hot spots, it's doable. But if Threadripper, like the 64-core version, was a, a monolithic die, it wouldn't be possible, which is why Intel hasn't been able to do it. I guess let me put it, more into context of kind of what I'm getting at, because my understanding is RDNA 3 is going to be another gigantic leap because it's probably going to chiplets for the graphics cards, finally. Um, But NVIDIA doesn't like losing. (laughs) Um, So let's assume top RDNA 3 uses 350 watts Mm -hmm. or something, Mm -hmm. and then top Lovelace uses 500, and they're mm. the same performance. That's going to be rough for At what point do you just go, this is a huge downside for the competition? Because I think right now, 3090 versus 6900 XT, it uses more energy, but I don't see most people saying it's a big differentiating yeah. issue. Well, same with 3080 to 6800 Yeah, XT. I mean, we don't even need to make this. I, I know you're going off the information you have, but you can make it a hypothetical thing like 300-watt graphics card versus 500-watt graphics card. They both deliver the same level of performance 
um, barring any other special features that the other card may have, then it's a bit of a no-brainer. You would go, the 350-watt card is just going to be much more practical for a whole mm-hmm. host. It's going to be more affordable because you're going to need to spend a lot less on cooling. If you spend the same, if you spend the same amount on cooling, that card is obviously going to be a lot cooler and quieter. So you're going to have to spend much more, there's going to be much more of a research and development effort to begin with to actually work mm-hmm. out how the hell you're going to move that heat away where it doesn't start frying your CPU and everything else, let alone the card itself. So, yeah, that would be a massive advantage to AMD if that is true. You know, let me ask just another kind of succinct question then about it to kind of end this whole discussion. Is there a cutoff you're guessing or do you think there would be a cutoff for you where you're like, guys, this is just getting absurd. Like, let's say it is 500, but then let's say the next one's 750 watt. It needs two of those 12 pins that they have. Yeah. Like, let's say they're like, at what point do you just tell people no? <laughs> well, I can't tell people no, because I was like, don't buy graphics. I, I was like, no, don't do it, guys. No. And everyone just went and did it anyway. Well, not everyone, but you know. No, but I mean. I mean, like, at what point do you say in your uh, review, like, where, no. Just when it's obvious it doesn't make sense. Like, I mean, I said no to the 6900 XT and the RTX 3090, not just because of power usage. That was probably one of the, the smaller factors at play there. But when it's just proven to me that it doesn't make sense, like, I've got to see this 500 watt G, uh, GPU, for example, <laughs> I know. and just and see how absurd it really is. But if they kind of make it work and it's like, well, obviously again, like I think the price also determines how practical that product is as well. Cause if it's a two and a half thousand, what if it's cheaper, you know, what if it's 1500, same performance as AMD's card, but uses double the energy. Would you recommend that you think? Well, yeah. If they, if they manage to pull it off where it's the same operating volume and well, temperature, I suppose, then it's kind of like, yeah, you're paying a premium for AMD because they're offering you much better efficiency but the NVIDIA card, it works just fine. It's easy enough to live with if you can, you know, deal with it putting out 150 watts or whatever more. Because, you know, that's not too... When you Again, I guess when you factor it into total system power consumption, if you go from 600 to 750 watts for the total system usage, just throwing numbers out there, how much difference is that? Like it's 150 watts. Like what a, a person puts out something like that, don't they? I think a person is about 100 to 200 watts. Yeah. yeah. So I think running, we put out a lot more, I feel like sprinting or something. Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, so <laughs> say 100 watts, it's like, all I'm getting at is it's not, it's not crazy difference. Um, it'll, it'll make a, a, a somewhat noticeable difference. But, I, but again, I think it, it would just be one of those things where it's a factor. Like it's, it's a con for that product, but it's offset by the pro that it's cheaper. And I, I, I'll say openly, I'm not saying it will be cheaper, guys. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah you know? Just but this has all been hypotheticals. Just to emphasize and let's be that. clear, if it uses 500 watts, I don't know how it could be cheaper because the board and VRMs would it have can't. to be so elaborate. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, no. I don't think it would be. No, Nvidia um, would be counting on their brand power for sure to move that part, which they've, which yeah. they they can comfortably do. <laughs> They've done before with like the GTX 480, so you never know. Oh, they, yeah. I mean, NVIDIA's brand power now is just very, very strong. Like, I've had a few friends recently, again, like, you know, the whole pandemic bring this out. I've had a lot of friends come to me. Like, most of my friends, believe it or not, aren't PC gamers. They're not not even tech guys or computer guys, especially because out where I live, I live out in the country. The vast majority of people I know out here, they don't even like computers. They hate them. But, you know, you get people locked in their house and they're willing to give it a go and they actually get a bit hooked on it or enjoy it. And these people who don't 
even know much about computers. They've read a few magazines or something online, or they've, they've heard a few rumblings. They're not even willing to consider Radeon. It's it's so crazy. Like you'd think when you come into a new yeah. industry, AMD needs to. There's a long way to go when it comes to there. It, the funny thing is, I don't think that's true with Ryzen. No, Ryzen is all the mind share because all of a sudden. In fact, you see people saying the same thing about Alder like they said about Zen One. Exactly. <laughs> like, it takes a few generations, and you know we've we've known mm -hmm. this. And it looked for a while there like Ryzen would never make that turn on Intel, where it was like the go-to. And it it really seemed to happen just all of a sudden, like people went from Intel into Intel to oh, so I should get Ryzen though, right? And that sort of caught mm -hmm. me by surprise. But yeah, we're, we're dealing with a lot of people, at least, you know, it's anecdotal evidence. It's just the people close to me that I uh, sort of know and I've dealt with. But it's, it's always caught me by surprise, the fact that these people are just sorting, starting to grasp PC gaming lingo and the companies involved and stuff. But they've just gone straight to NVIDIA and that's sort of the only option. I have to have GeForce. And I guess it's because these people that, you know, they didn't just one day wake up and go, hey, that there's a thing called PC gaming. I guess I want to try that. They were F1 fans or whatever, or they were into some sort of sport that went down the esports path to still generate income and, and have a following during the pandemic. And the F1 thing sponsored by NVIDIA GeForce, the best product to play this mm -hmm. game. And, and, you know, NVIDIA is very- The way it's on, meant to be played. Exactly. <laughs> and they've just seen that and they're like, oh, all my favorite drivers use GeForce cards or- you know, all, all the best gamers are using GeForce. And I think that is just it straight away. They've gone, okay, that's ticked off the list. That's easy. I've got that one dialed in. I need a GeForce graphics card. So I guess that must be it. But it really surprised me. People who were just getting into this and didn't know really anything about it. They're like, oh, so I need it. I'm I want a GeForce card. I have to have a GeForce card. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that, that, that caught me Some by surprise. Some of my favorite ones, uh, I used to be like, uh, what is it? One of the like chief like, build moderators on Tom's hardware a decade ago. And I always love the questions they asked when they said, hey, what graphics card should I get for 150? It has to be NVIDIA. And I'm like, well, thanks for asking. I don't think you need me. Why don't you just go to Newegg and sort by price and buy it then you like, What are you even asking me? <laughs> like, but, it, but you're right. That's still how most people shop. And I think RDNA 2 is kind of a... Really, RDNA 2 is a Zen 1 moment, I think. it's We're not even to the Zen 2 moment yet, it's, let alone the Zen 3, where I think that flip really happened for Ryzen Mindshare. Look, I... Look, you I, know, it's going to take generations. I don't disagree. It's, it's that for us, but I think for the larger audience, it's not even that because they didn't mm. get the supply out there. They didn't get the product. It was just out of stock like everything else. And I know the reasons mm -hmm. for that. Tim and I believe that was somewhat of a miscalculation there where they really, especially with Intel coming in, they needed to make more headway there, but it's like, where are the profits? What yep. makes sense? So it's a, it's a, it's a tough one, but I think if they really wanted to strengthen the Radeon brand and, and make it a bit more future proof, <laughs> that, that may pushing that product line a bit harder with a bit more supply, because really now was the time to do it. They actually, for the first time in a long time, well, I think they are doing it now. I think they are doing it right about now. Like mm -hmm. I've heard that they're from the supply chain that they're shipping 50% more Navi 23 mm. than, and they're going to ship just a boatload of Navi 24 early next year. Um, and that NVIDIA's actually <laughs> reduced supply this quarter because they don't care. I guess they just want mm. prices to be high forever. But I don't know. I, I have to agree that I feel like they should have manufactured more though still. I, again, it's, I don't know, man. The profit margins on an eight hundred dollar five nine fifty X. Those chips are eighty millimeters squared. I know. It's, and yeah. this five hundred millimeter squared sixty nine hundred X. Why should be any of them? 
it's, I don't know. It's a toss up. Like, do you do you make you know the profits now, make all the money to invest in the future, or do you strengthen the brand now and not make? It, it's a tough one. I don't know. I think RDNA three, and I I suspect a six nanometer refresh of Navi twenty two early next year that they may try to pull like a you know, a flooding situation. Mm. Like, I think that's when they're going to go for it, but I can't help but agree that, I don't know, I think their calculation is they're going to try to flood the market when they have the performance crown at the same time, and they just didn't with this gen. Well, but that's right. I mean, they've got more information about their own products, certainly than I have. They know what their game plan is. They know what they're able to do, and they probably have a pretty good idea of what they think NVIDIA is going to do. So they, it's probably a more long-term play than me looking at mm -hmm. one generation. Well, yeah, and, you know, if there was ever a time to hammer the Ryzen brand, it's when Intel can't even compete with the 5800X. I mean, God, Rocket Lake versus Zen 3 was, you understand why they hammered that then. I mean, God. Yeah. Um, well, to move forward then, I guess, I guess I have two final questions here. I've actually got a cutoff now. As usual, we've talked longer than I expected. <laughs> um, two final questions then on these notes. Uh, Fluke writes in, Intel and AMD might consider what a total price an enthusiast will pay for a top model. Where do you think the price level will be for low-end, middle, and enthusiast next summer? <laughs> I know. Thanks for that question to finish off on. Uh, I've got no idea. I mean, I don't expect it to be, as I said earlier, much different to what we're seeing now. <sighs> mm. But, you know, things can change. Let's just ask one of those, right? What is the highest enthusiast price the market would support at decent volume? Do you think it's three grand, five grand? <laughs> like when do, when do they just say, ah, they won't buy it if it's more than this? Well, logically, you've got to think it would be less than it is right now, right? For the top end card? Yeah. Like, because we've even seen locally here in Australia, sometimes we've had good supply of mm -hmm. the top end cards at absurdly high prices and retailers have told me they're just very slowly moving even though we've got stock you know we've had to buy them from distributors at such high prices with bundles that we've now got to try and sell these crappy motherboards separately um you know people just aren't interested in paying three thousand dollars for these cards especially i think retailers have found the situation has got progressively worse the longer the product has been on the market because people are like Eh, I'm hearing about mm, these next-gen cards. It's not the newest thing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, logically, I'd have to say that it's got to be less than what we're seeing now. So it is probably around 2000 is the most they can get away with, and it has to be a banger. Yeah, I would have thought so. Because if supply improves, prices can't go up. Because um, people who are... What, what about high-end? So I'm going to keep pushing it, though. All right. What's the most they can get away with for an RTX 5070? What do you think? Do you think they could get away with 800, 1,000? I've honestly got no idea, but it's, it's hard to say without knowing exactly how many gamers are buying these cards and which ones, which prices, and how many are sitting on the sidelines. Because it could be, I, I think it's quite clearly a situation where a lot of people are holding out, like the majority still are holding out. I know, as I said earlier, a lot of gamers are still buying these cards, but I think it's more a situation where the guys with deep pockets that didn't care if it was $5,000 mm -hmm. or 1000 and were just going to buy it anyway because they want the cutting edge stuff and they upgrade every generation because they can afford to, 
I think they're the people who have mostly bought. And then a few people who tried to hold out, couldn't, gave up, and then got stung at like just over $1,000 did it, but probably a bit regretful. So it's it's really hard to say how many of those people that really wanted to spend $700 on an RTX 3080 of still like, nah, I'm out. I'm doing woodworking instead. <laughs> so I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I, I couldn't say. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I guess I thought it could always go up a little bit, assuming it's not inflation that makes it higher. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I guess I would say, yeah, I guess I think I agree. 2000 to 3000 is probably where the most absurd will spend. Because you're right, the data suggests that. 3090s yeah, and 3 yeah. grand aren't selling. Yep. So we found out. And that was where the Titan Volta was. So, I mean, then you look at below that. I guess I would guess that the high end, and it would have to be powerful, the limit's probably about 800 mm. for a 4070 is my guess. I hope so. That, that's my guess. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all hoping. I think I heard a... I think, and this was from a podcast earlier this year at the Door TV, he goes, do you think pricing will stop going up, Tom? Because at a certain point, it just sounds like we're all just hoping it won't. <laughs> like, like, do we actually believe what we're saying or are we just making ourselves feel better? But uh, uh, you're making me feel better because you're right. The data suggests it's not going above two to 3,000. I think, I hope, this stuff happens in cycles. We've seen at least the cryptocurrency cycles before. I believe what we're in is a perfect shitstorm mm -hmm. that i agree at, at, that's delayed the drop off of the site the current cycle we're in and as we've sp spoke about tons of times on our channel as you and i have mentioned earlier in this discussion there are a whole host of reasons for why the market is in the way the market conditions are the way they are right now and they're not going to go away overnight and like even if cryptocurrency was not even a thing tomorrow it just went away mm -hmm. GPU prices aren't going to fall through the floor. It's just not going to happen. So they will and come And by down. the way, you can use GPUs for more than mining and gaming. I, I remember when Vega first came out, a big thing I kept pointing to is there are people making rendering builds with like mm. four Vega Frontiers in a rig that looked like a mining rig because they're like, dude, I, I now have 50 teraflops. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Yeah, there's more use cases for them. There's more demand for them. Mm-hmm. There's more demand for them is basically what it boils down to. And again, that's because of cryptocurrency mining. It's because they're being used in more professional applications now. And it's because there is so many more gamers than there were mm -hmm. back in that example I gave on Twitter where I'm like, it's no longer guys in their basement playing Age of Empires and Doom and all those hey, sort of games. I was one of those Age so of was Empires I. people in the That's why I know yeah. I've lived through this. I remember when you used to jump onto online gaming and stuff and it was just like not having enough server power wasn't really the mm -hmm. issue back then. It was just like not having enough people online to play games with. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, I remember playing Age of Empires 2, but then also on PS2, I played SOCOM online and it'd be like, eh, it is 2 a.m. There's only a few thousand people on, <laughs> you know, that's what game that has a few thousand people on isn't considered dead at this point. It, it's so much bigger. Yes, exactly. So more demand is basically what it is. And uh, we've just got to hope things catch up a little bit. And yeah, but it's going to be a slow process for sure. And at the end of the day, the companies involved aren't hurting. Like if the companies involved were hurting or it was creating some kind of discomfort for them, this would be addressed much quicker. But with them making record profit margins, I mean, probably the only people that are hurting are a bit of retailers. So yeah, there'll be some retailers, I'm sure, that are partaking in uh, the price gouging, but I think most aren't. Um, no, I, I've talked to a lot of them. They're, they're, 
it's the distributors mm, really that, that probably yeah. jank everyone around the most. I mean, I I mean, yeah, it's that was a question I skipped, but I'll just bring it up. Like someone was asking, like the is the future bright because it seems bleak, and I'm like, no, these companies think the future is pretty bright. <laughs> they definitely do. Like, and I and I've been asking them lately, distributors, people at AMD and Intel, and retailers, and AIBs too. Like AIBs, like come on, this thirty eighty doesn't cost you that much to sell stop lying to us come on and it's like you know do you think you're doing long-term damage at the very least what i would tell people is when i ask them people in the industry don't think they are they think it's never been better and it will continue to be and i guess we'll just have to find out but i I do think that people who think it's going to be horrible as bad as it is now forever also it's going the cycles there's going to be a flip at some point yeah the 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 good old days are gone for sure but I think it will become sure. more reasonable. But at the end of the day, they've got us by the uh, plums on this one. We're all addicts. We're just like sitting there scratching our desks, waiting for the next thing to buy. We want the next GPU and we want to upgrade. I know, right? So, yeah, well, and you know, to put things in perspective, it was called the PC gaming renaissance, I think, in 2011 onwards. Guys, renaissances don't last forever. Maybe we just lived through the renaissance. Having said that, the 90s, uh, mid, I was told a mid range PC was like four grand. So like, you know, like I talked to the guy from PC perspective and he built like enthusiast gaming systems in the eighties and nineties. And he's like, Oh God, like we're talking thousands of dollars. And when you adjust for inflation, it's like the equivalent of like four grand for a medium PC back then, you know? So it's certainly been worse than now though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we got through as many questions as we could. As usual, we went over two hours. I thought for some reason we wouldn't this time, but... <laughs> Foolish. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, any last things you want to say to the audience, to the listeners? And um, I imagine there's a couple things you want to plug. Um, just hang in there. <laughs> uh, uh, no, not not really. I mean, you know, we, as you say, we've been talking for a long time. I always enjoyed the, the conversation with you. Uh, Tim and I always find the same thing. I suppose you and Dan do as well. You get talking about something and before mm-hmm. you know it, you've been spending way too long talking about the thing and you probably should go with some other work. But hopefully everyone enjoyed the conversation. I know I enjoyed it. It's always good fun. And yeah, of course, we'll do it again in the future. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Steve. And uh, go check out Hardware Unboxed. And uh, I'll plug it if you won't. I mean, <laughs> some, come on. But uh, And thank you to everybody for listening. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan. Audio editing by Gerard Cortez and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, 
please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, Please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Mellon, Telus, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn, Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akrai, Frederick Lau, MetroCore, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31137 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jeskowiak, Josh Law, JB Jing, Travis Gooding, Mexico Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Dizru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazu, My Name is Nobody, Judson N. Alethos, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Great T. Wanchik, Ivan214, John Jameson, Sam Vance, Matthew Lane, Mark Rainmaker, Jan Ranner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrans, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominic Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Anthony Garaffa, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silas, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S. C. Chitz, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Ecker, Endless Longest, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Power, Sue Alenia, Dan Nan, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dan Galanowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Parity, Joseph Kerman, Brett Summers, Blake, Donovan Russell, No Nokella, Zlicky, Matt Porsche, David Cannon, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucia, Jeremy Show, Mitchell Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Floria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Robin, Tyler Lindley, Jim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelly, Dave McCoy, Valcom Alev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, Y. My Sharona, Y. Truy, Rowan, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amy Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Raken, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy and Chi, Mads, Gordon Freeman, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron, John Wissink, Mohammed, Jean Debont, Post Media, Sean Ashman, Daniel Dewar, Steven Zhang, JSMMH, and thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>